Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening to any and all concerned. Uh, to my friends who are basketball fans, well, you got what you wanted. You got... Uh, the two most interesting teams in all of basketball. We won't be talking basketball because it's not a basketball show, but I know I have friends who are basketball fans, and here it is. This is what you wanted. Enjoy. Um, and then for football fans, so it's not quite a desert where we find ourselves. It's not quite an oasis either. There's a little bit of stuff to talk to, but talk about, but mostly we're looking forward, sort of way forward in some cases, 2016, now the draft. Seems far off because, well, it is. Uh, like, uh, well, uh, almost, actually, yeah. uh, one, one thing that happened uh, today, uh, the 49ers offensive tackle, Anthony Davis, has retired at the ripe old age yeah. of 25. Yeah, something in the water Here's in San Francisco. Something in the water in San Francisco. Apparently Jim Harbaugh had something to do with it. He pushed him so hard. <laughs> Well, speaking of pushing hard, we all saw a lot of Jim Harbaugh recently, and um, I just love that the man is so comfortable in his skin. I don't know if I'm as comfortable in his skin as he is, but God bless him. Keep keep your freak, freak flag flying high, Jim Harbaugh. Um, but, yes, uh, we come to the point of the season where we're looking at conferences, and it's mostly autobiographical. Not autobiographical. That's not what I'm talking about. It's mostly alphabetical. Uh, we talked about the uh, the sort of monster, what was it called, Frankenstein Conference, the AAC, which is sort of cobbled together from bits and pieces of other conferences. And now we turn it to the ACC, which used to be a very stable, normal, predictable conference for a very long time, and then it added one or two teams, got Virginia Tech from the Big East, and Miami from the Big East, and then they added uh, uh, Florida State from well, Independence. You know, and that's stabilized it, and it was nice and normal for a while. And then things began to happen. Maryland, of all, place, of all places, went into the Big Ten, where it frankly doesn't belong. Um, and, uh, you know, Syracuse, which is semi-odd fit, has found its way into the conference. And now Louisville, which is not an awful fit. I mean, they have great basketball, so that part's kind of a good fit. Culturally, they feel... You know, it's not the not it's not perfect, but it's not it's not awful. It's not as bad as. Oh, hey, most of their players were recruited from Florida, so you know. Right, exactly, and it's like I said, it's not as bad as Maryland being in the eighth in the uh, Big Ten, which is almost as bad as West Virginia being in the Big Twelve, which is because still the worst. Thing I've ever well, seen. I mean, Maryland could be considered the South a while well, ago. You know, well, Maryland, um, Maryland, whether you consider the South or the, or whether you consider the Mid Atlantic, it doesn't belong in the Big Ten. And West Virginia, I mean, I don't know how you make West Virginia a cultural fit for the Big Twelve other than passing offense. 
You know, I mean, I guess that would be the one big 12-ish thing about, I mean, but they make more sense in the, well, you know. It's the Yeehaw Conference. So, (laughs) West Virginia. Well, there's there's the cultural fit, is what you're saying. It could technically be a Yeehaw kind of play. I've never been to West Virginia. I mean, I've been to Virginia. I've never been to West Virginia. I'm not. Yeah, I have. I have been to West Virginia, but I've driven through West Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree I with know. you on the hee haw part of it, but I mean the football culture has little to nothing to do with the rest of the. Te- I mean, these are teams. Like I said, they don't play anybody else in their time zone in conference. I mean, think about that. Who else can say that? There's no one else in their time zone in their conference. Everyone else in the conference is in is either one or two time zones away. That's just nutty. But whatever, that's not what I came here to talk about. Um, the conference, the you know, quote unquote big time football conference that I grew up watching back in the days before you could watch everybody. Um, I grew up watching, you know, the the few national games and then all the regional games on the old Raycom and Jefferson Pilot. Uh, sports broadcasts were always ACC. So I saw, you know, obviously all the teams that were in the, the traditional ACC uh, several times a year. And then later when I got to, you know, be a high school and college student, I got to see guys who I'd seen playing in high school make their way to, you know, usually North Carolina and NC State and UVA. And at that time, Virginia Tech wasn't in the conference yet, but soon they made their way into the uh, the ACC. At that time, uh, Virginia Tech was in the – well, actually, they weren't even the Big East yet. They were an independent for a minute there, and then they joined the uh, the Big East, and then eventually, obviously, made their way to the ACC. But still, I got to see a lot of these teams, a lot. Syracuse being the exception. I didn't see much Syracuse football growing up. I saw a lot of Syracuse basketball in my teens back during the Cuses in the house, oh, my God, oh, my God era when I was watching, you know, Pearl Washington and Ronnie Cycli and, you know, later guys like Stevie Thompson and whatever. But the point is that the ACC, long considered a, quote-unquote, basketball conference, thanks to the success of Duke and, and North Carolina, has lately had really good football. And not just because of Florida State, though, obviously, much because of Florida State, but Duke, a traditional doormat for. No, no, I'm just saying. Hold on, now. I mean, I remember yeah. Duke being a terrible football program for a very long uh-huh. time. Yeah, yeah, I, I realize that, but for my, it's like, hey, Fred, remember when you were drunk? Remember, remember when you were drunk? Well, I'm sober. Yeah, I remember. Like, like we can. I mean, the past is the past. Duke is a football oh. program. Oh, I mean, everything is different about Duke football. I mean, they have Coach Cutcliffe. They have – they win, They now win some recruiting battles. I mean, the thought of them yeah. winning a recruiting battle is a foreign concept to people who grew up in the UC country. True. <laughs> in the, in I, the I, think they're, I think they're peaking, though. I, honestly, I think they're peaking. I understand that they found a way to win games and do stuff, but I think – I, I don't mean to say that they're, they're going to go back to losing, but I, I think they peak. I think this is sure this is the highest speed football is going to go. Yeah, I don't think they're making it to national championship games either. I'm going to agree that they have two things working strongly against them. One, 
you know, it's an academic institution for first and foremost. I mean, I, every school says that, but Duke means it. So much like with Northwestern, and to a lesser, slightly lesser extent Stanford, there is sort of a restrictor plate. You can only go so far in sports that require as many good players as football does. With basketball, you need four really good, one great player, three really good players, a couple of guys that are decent, and then, you know, the other guys just have to not turn the, not turn the ball over, basically, or, you know, practice hard. And you can win national championships in basketball. You can even be fairly competitive in, in some other sports, especially some of the non-revenue producers. I mean, Johns Hopkins is a powerhouse in lacrosse, right? So, but in the sports where you need, I mean, you need a lot of good, you need 50 really good players to have a good football program, and then you can have some other guys who are, you know, decent, but you got to have 50 really good players. That's a lot of really good football players, and not all of them are likely to be great students. It's difficult to have 50 really good football players who are really awesome students, which is what you need at Duke or Stanford or Northwestern. And so, as you said, they can have a certain level of success. They can make bowl games, even big-time bowl games. They can win 10 games. In fact, I guess in the case of Stanford, they won 11 games a couple of times. Um, both Northwestern and Duke have made it to the 10-game level in their, you know, last 10 or so years. Um, but that seems, yeah, I would agree. That's about as far as you can go. If they don't, you know, say, we care less about academics than we used to, I mean, I don't see that happening either. So you're talking about, you know, the things you've got to fight through. And I see we've been joined by Dominic James. Hey, how's it going, guys? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I don't know what happened to Bill, though. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, <laughs> good to talk to you, James. <laughs> Bill, hopefully you didn't fall asleep already, but... <laughs> no, no, it's early in the show. Um, we, oh, were it's talking ACC. <laughs> we were talking okay. ACC a little bit, previewing, so I guess we're going to be getting into that. Are you back, Bill? Awesome. I think he's there. Just... I think he's there. Yeah, he's there. I can hear him. <laughs> we'll, we'll let him talk back to me. <laughs> so, what have you been up to, Donovan? Besides, um, you know, making I, your rounds? Just moved. Um, I'm, it feels amazing to be out here. Um, back back home. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just moved here um, two days ago. Moved back. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that, and uh, I, I'm at Elite Eleven um, right now. So. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, actually, like uh, tomorrow, I don't know what you guys are doing. You gotta let me know. But uh, I might, you know, throw, throw some recruits on there if you want. KJ's here. We already had him on, so you know, no. I told. Him. I told him to come back, <laughs> come back on the show. Um, it's not tomorrow, like another day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not Elite Eleven. Um, it's you know the final 22 quarterbacks, and they're gonna, um, they're in LA, all the top 22 quarterbacks in the country, and uh, you know they bring it down to 11, and they'll be up in Beaver, Beavers and Oregon uh, in a couple of weeks. Whoever wins this competition with Trent Gilbert and Jordan Palmer out here coaching them up. So 
And Chris Ricks is out here now too. The oh, okay. Yeah. So, yes, so thus far, who is who's caught your attention thus far? Um, none of them have thrown yet, but I've watched a lot of video of them competing in their own region um, before they got here. And Shea Patterson, uh, um, kid from Louisiana, is doing an amazing job. Um, he committed to Ole Miss. Uh, it's funny, all these quarterbacks have committed to a school except two out of the 22. It's crazy to think that, you know, nowadays that all these kids are about to be seniors in high school. They're not even seniors yet, and they're, they're already committed to all their schools. But uh, Shea Patterson's doing a good job. Shea Dixello is um, always doing a fine job. Uh, and uh, Malik Henry's doing a fine job um, from what I've seen so far. And they're just kind of being kids right now, messing around, playing volleyball on the beach and eating in and out, listening to a little hip-hop. You know what I mean? Um, but they're gonna get ready to throw stuff uh tomorrow and uh or today rather and then tomorrow. But yeah, those three look really good. And I'm also impressed by uh, Brandon Peters, um, kid going to Michigan. Big call strong quarterback, another one Jim Harbaugh's gonna get, but uh he's he, he likes them big and strong and he tall. Does. Yeah, Brandon Peters is great, man. He's six four, two fifteen, um, you know, seventeen and a half years old. So he's <laughs> got a rocket cannon arm. So they're going to be happy in an Arbor with him. I'm excited to see. Um, there's always a breakout quarterback um, from Elite 11. Um, the guy that's not supposed to be here, you know. Um, Malik Zaire was one of those quarterbacks, you know. And now he'll be starting at Notre Dame or, or Shante Willard from a few years ago who just transferred. Um, and then you got the heavy hitters, you know. KJ Shea and, and Malik are the top three guys. And Jacob Easton, too, from, from Washington. You you know Jacob Easton probably well since his dad, though. Um, his dad played at Illinois. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of his dad's first name, but he's the quarterback at Illinois. Um, always yep. <laughs> Easton too. Um, he's pretty popular in Champaign. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's here, and it's weird. He just um, accidentally brought his baseball cleats because he just got <laughs> got back. He got back from a camp up there in Washington um, from playing baseball, and uh, he accidentally brought the wrong cleats. But he's got he's got you know a lot of cleats there since it's Nike, so he's, he's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, it's a beautiful day for, for the throw. And the, uh, we got some ACC kids here, you know. There's there's five commits to ACC schools here. Well, 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 so, well that's a perfect segue. Give, give us the names. Who who are the kids there that, that we should be looking for, if you know, in the future in the ACC? Um, first guy to look out for is uh, Jared uh, Gorantano. Um you know, a child in New Jersey kid, man. You know, he's just a typical. You know, he's he's good. He's, he's a big, tall guy. Um, Puka shell um, necklace. Puka shell. Ne- he actually does have a Puka shell necklace. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> yeah, but he he uh, he just went to Miami. Um, Rutgers was looking at him really strong. And, you know, a few other schools up there, Penn State. But uh, he he chose to uh, go to the U. Um, so that's a guy to look out for. Dwayne Haskins is going. Um, to uh, BC, so I mean that's that's a big deal for them. BC to get a, a big time quarterback. Um, I feel like Steve Dalio is doing a really good job quietly um, up there in Boston. So uh, look out for him. And little um, quarterback to look out for, in my opinion, is uh, Zarek Cooper. He's going to Clemson. Um, you know we got Deshaun Watson there right now, but they don't have him as just that quarterback. So. You know, that's a, and, you know, Deshaun, you know, would probably be gone next year anyway. So it's a big deal for them to get a, a top, you know, four-star quarterback. Those are the three guys to look out for. Uh, Zarek's a little smaller. He's one of the smaller quarterbacks here, but super quick. And if you like Tyrod Taylor a lot, um, I'd, I'd 
uh, his time at Vostek, you like Derek Cooper. A little bit bigger than him uh, height-wise, but small. You know, got to on some weight, but, you know, he's like 176 right now. But, yeah, these are some good-looking kids out here. That's a good group for them. He's not as strong as last year, but um, there's some really heavy hitters. Uh, Bill? As always, your insights are appreciated, Don, and the development curve has sort of straightened or shortened or whatever from the old days uh, when we used to, especially with quarterbacks, we used to very often redshirt. I mean, in the case of even a guy like Boomer Esiason, you know, he redshirted and then, you know, was behind, um, oh, uh, Frank Wright, right? I think it was, was it Frank Wright? There was another guy that played in the league for a while. He was behind at first when he got to Maryland. And then eventually, or he snuck the way around. Wright was behind Asias of the France and was behind, it wasn't Bob Avellini. It was somebody, it was somebody else. Uh, Mike Tice? Was it Mike Tice? You know, you might be right. You might be right. It might have been the Tice brothers went there as a sort of package deal. Um, they got a lot of kids out of Long Island. The Tice brothers, Esiason. Frank Wright might be in Long Island. No, he's not. He's not in Long Island. But there's another one of the quarterbacks was in Long Island. Stan Gelbaugh. Stan Gelbaugh was a uh, Long Island kid. They got a lot of Long Island guys. And, um, of course, I guess O'Leary, who, of course, was on the staff at Maryland at the time, did a really good job of recruiting that area. And it's an area that, thanks to Syracuse um, being in the conference, which I am almost used to now, is uh, an area that gets recruited very heavily again. But um, the ACC, like I said, you know, is sort of busted out to a certain extent from its old, you know, you know you're just a basketball conference kind of, uh, you know, slander or whatever term what they used to uh they used to have to deal with and now I think people recognize that you know it's a obviously a conference that's had teams that play football at a very high level, in fact play for national championships. And we'll get to that team eventually, but looking at a team that I think is sort of a, an awakening sleeping giant, I want to start with Boston College. For two reasons. One is they have a coach who obviously comes with a certain amount of um uh, whatever you want to call it, heat, expectation, um, reputation. He's, you know, a guy that's had success other places and, you know, has the, uh, you know, the stamp of approval from uh, Urban Meyer and kind of a tough guy and a good recruiter. And I don't once again, there's sort of, a, I guess, a limit to how far Boston College might be able to go, but they've, They've looked good recently, look better, whatever you want to use. They've, they're looking more and more like a legitimate football team. <laughs> not actually a legitimate football team, but I mean like a, a contender, if not to win the conference, then a contender to at least be in the mix for their, their half of the conference. Oh, I would definitely agree with that, Bill. Definitely. Like I said before, BC is, you know, doing a good job of recruiting in a top 55 last year. Uh, they, they, they're going to get transferred then always. Um, you know, as you saw with Tyler Murphy, it was a really big deal last year. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, 
for them, keeping kids in that New England region, um, there's not many, but the guys that are there are – there's no depth, but the guys are the very top-heavy. There's a lot of four, you know, four stars there, um, even some five stars in that New England region. Um, you've got to keep those guys there. Those guys go everywhere else but BC. <laughs> you know, they'll go down to Florida or they'll go down – they'll go out west or wherever the case may be. And there's tons of players that SC and Florida and, like, you know, um, some of the – Penn State have gotten from there. And I think keep, gotten, yep, a lot of guys yeah, in the area. A lot of guys. So they, keep some, they got a guy named Skyliner, um, top defensive tackle for 2017 class. I know that's far away, but <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, 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 I mean, he, he's on their top five, you know, and kids commit early nowadays. So, you know, that's my, it might seem like far away, but it's not, you know, kids commit early on. And then uh, Nick Bosa, you know, um, he finalized his five schools, and BC actually made it. Um, he has a pretty close relationship to Adazio and that staff. I don't know if he's going to go there. It would be the biggest home run surprise of the recruiting class he chose, you know, BC. But you never know. Um, he could go there, and that would be kind of the start, maybe, of BC football uh, getting back to, you know, where they were before. I know they've never been to the, the very, very top, but, you know, they can win consistently win nine or ten games a year. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah. With in the peak of the Bicknell era, the Jack Bicknell era, they were winning nine and ten games a year. They were, they were ten and two, uh, Doug Flutie's senior year, and of course they beat very famously Miami in a, uh, you know, a thousand times, several thousand times reviewed. Uh, so that's that's, you know, still a signature moment in BC football history. Is of course the beating, um, I think, number two ranks, Miami. Two or three ranked Miami. But uh, whether or not they get to the very, very top, I think if they can take another step forward, I think that's really what they're trying to do right now. No one says we just want to break through and, you know, win nine games. But if they did do that, it would be an enormously big deal for them. And it would be counting to you can talk about, assuming you don't lose your head coach, you can talk about using it to propel you to that next level where you are winning double-digit games and playing in, you know, some of the top bowl games. So, metrically speaking, uh, Jim, who are some of the interesting or most interesting prospects to you at Boston College? Strictly speaking, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, the only guy who really sticks out is Justin Simmons, you know, at safety. Um, Offense-wise, they have a running back there, uh, and I forgot his name. I think his name is, I think, John Hilleman, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or it might That's be Miles. Correct. But he's a pretty fast guy, pretty shifty guy um, overall. Uh, they kind of, they, I mean, they have Tyler Murphy and stuff. And him, I think that he would be best if he kind of got all the carries, I think, in my opinion. Um, and they'll probably, they'll probably do it, too. I mean, they've done it before. But I think that he's overall offense-wise, he's their kind of, if he has some speed and stuff. Um, wide receiver-wise, the other arm, she's really stuck out. Defense-wise, the only guy who really kicks out is 
the Justin Simmons guy, the possible strong safety, possibly kind of guy. Um, but uh, that's about it. There's really not a ton of wow okay. stuff. I mean, that's the thing about Boston College is they have, I mean, they're designed to run the football, you know, take time off the clock, um, play defense, good tacklers, stuff like that. But they don't necessarily have, uh, you know, stars or anything like that on the team that really kind of stick out from the crowd. Okay, so before you move on from them, I'm going to jump back to Donovan. So, Donovan, what would it take from a recruiting standpoint for them to have wow factor? And so most people, I think that means speed. Um, I'm assuming at least for most of them. That's the thing that they've never seemed to really be able to. That's, to me, the thing that the restrictor plate, if you want to think of it that way, that's been on their program. I mean, there's very few speedsters I can think of in the history of Boston College football. Forget recently. Um, I can only think of a really – Troy Stratford could fly. Um, they had a really fast wide receiver who was Haitian, but he wasn't a very good wide receiver, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. He just was fast. Um, I mean, literally only a handful of guys can I think of in the history of their program where I thought, wow, that guy could be blazing fast. What what has to happen recruitment-wise for a team to go from having basically almost no speed to having the kind of speed it takes to to be a wild pro to have wild factor to win eleven games? Yeah, you said it. Speed. Um, what can happen is you know Steve Adazio has a lot of you know he's a Florida guy. You know, <laughs> obviously he was going to the Gators when they won a couple of titles. Um, he has a couple of guys on staff from from uh, you know. Florida, so that that's gonna help. Um, Florida is a speech state, so you get your speakers from. So <laughs> that helps out a lot. Um, they don't, I mean, splash play. You know, I know there's BC fans are trying to, like I said, we're talking about Nick Bolt for football. That's all fine, and great. I mean, he's the, the best even within the country. Um, but you know, you, you got to get depth. Um, that's something they're lacking too. They're not a deep team. Right. Um, they got beat last year a lot because of they weren't deep. But and like I said, you know, the fast play the team. Probably Tyler Murphy at quarterback last year, you know, <laughs> transfer from Florida. So, so I mean, you know, they've got to get the speeches and they got to get deeper. But I think that will come with time if Dalvia stays there, which I, you know, think he, think he actually might stick around for a little while. Um, you know, they'll be fine. I think they can win seven, eight. So, nine, ten a year is going to be hard. They're going to have to get the speed. They're going to have to just hit on, you know, getting guys from Florida that are. They're not going to get five stars from Florida, you know. That's not going to happen. But if they can get the three and the four-star guys that are just speedsters on the outside and that running back, will be fine. Obviously, you saw a lot of success with Andre Williams a couple of years ago. Um, they've always had a really good offensive line, and Adazio is an O-line guy. So I think they'll be yeah. perfectly fine there. So their defense has always been sound and solid, too. Um, quarter, another thing is quarterback, third thing. Um, obviously, Matty Ice was there. Um they had struggles when he was there, but they won a lot. They won some football games. They won some top games. Um, recently, though, I mean, outside of Matt Ryan, don't know too many other quarterbacks there. They used know, to be a quarterback factory. I mean, they used to be their quarterbacks when they had great careers got drafted from Brian St. Pierre back to Cleese Flutie. You know, every few years, at least a guy got drafted. Now, obviously, some of these guys didn't have great careers. I mean, Brian St. Pierre didn't set the world on fire, but yeah. I mean, Boston College quarterbacks 
were in the league, they would be drafting the Hasselbacks. The, you know, there's a whole long list of them. They at least made teams. They were on NFL rosters, usually backups, Flutie being, you know, sort of an, an exception. There weren't too many starters. Matty Rice was obviously well. But, but no, I mean, NFL backups. UBC used to, like, dominate the NFL backup game for a while there in the, in the, in the, in the, in the league. But now, yeah, I've noticed they a little tailing off there. A little bit. And the kids, you know, the, the young guys, I mean, they, they, you know, Matt Hasselbeck is still in the league, and, you know, a lot of people know who he is, uh, especially with the relationship that he has with a lot of people at camps anyway. So his name gets brought up, and sometimes he'll show up at a camp. And obviously Matt Ryan's on new TV every Sunday, so you see him. But, yeah, I mean, the kids don't know about St. Pierre, you know. <laughs> they remember Flutie. <laughs> They've seen the Hail Mary, but that's it. Pretty much all they know, you know. I'm just being honest. Right. These are kids born in 1990. Right, right. He's a TV guy to them. That's all they know about. It's, him. it's TV yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's funny, you know, that I'm only 25 and I'm talking to these guys that are born like 97 and 98 right now, and you know, it's just they. I don't expect them to remember everything, you know. I think we had KJ on and we were talking, and you kind of you went over kind of tad bit <laughs> with some of the old school quarterback stuff. I would um, imagine. Then, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, man, I, you know, I was born in 1997, so, I mean. <laughs> oh, God, that's yeah. just crazy. <laughs> yeah, oh. so, I mean, it's like he can't remember everything, you know. But he he, remembers, he, he knows the game well, but it's just oh, they're yeah, young. Yeah. You know, they're young. And the kids, you know, they, they're so into the now. And some of them don't go back <laughs> too far. Far for them is like Steve Young, you know. So <laughs> um, <laughs> That is far. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty far back. But, no, I mean, DC's got a – you know, a lot of it is just kind of looking at who's in the NFL. Um, people look at that all the time. That's why you see some kids go um, to where the coaches go. You know, you know Harbaugh, he's gotten a lot of players in the NFL. We want to go play for him. Adalvio, he's done some players in the league. He's only been a head coach for a few years, but um, successful. Be, I mean, Luke Keekley, Matt Ryan, you know, we had some successful guys. We just had, a, um, I believe, a lineman, uh, offensive lineman draft this, uh, this year, I think, um, or at least he's on a practice squad. Um, it was Caleb Johnson. Or no, that was Ruckers. Um, oh, you mean, you mean Gallic? Or, Gallic, Andy Gallic. Yeah, the center. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, success. O-line success is fine. They're always going to be good there, like I said. But they'll get their quarterback. Like I said, the guy has been um, a dual-threat guy. They're running a different system now. All the quarterbacks you named were mostly pocket guys. They were um, all pocket passers, not mostly. <laughs> Every, I mean, yeah, Flutie, all, I guess, being sort of an exception. Flutie, but he was a yeah. – he was a pocket passer who scrambled a lot. I mean, you know, he was still a guy who operated mostly from the pocket. It was a pro-style offense. He doesn't right. happen to be a terrific athlete. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this new new new, new system, um, BC is one of those schools that always have the same system, like SC and, uh, you know, schools like that. You can't let you usually have the same system. Um, but the BC's running a different system now. It's spread, and it's a lot different. Because the high schools don't really run that offense up there. And that's a really big deal for recruiting. Um, if your area doesn't really run um, the same style home offense you have, it's kind of hard to fit sometimes. But uh, I think it'll work. I mean, almost uh, like 75% of high school is spread offense now anyway. And they run the football. And that's, you know, the easiest thing to do in high school is just run the football still. You know, I know a lot of, there's a lot of quarterbacks now, but it's still really easy to run and read options. So I think Adonis will do a good job there eventually. Um, he'll get his guys, and they'll start winning some more ball games. And they, the past two years, they've done great. You know, um, you know, they lost the bowl game. Um, heartbreaking fact, you know, the Penn State. But uh, they played right with them. You know, they beat SC. Um, they played hard. Yeah. Um, versus Florida yeah. State two years ago. Um, or or not Florida State, but um, Clemson two years ago. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think they'll be fine. 
Yeah, I, I agree in that the recruiting challenge, I mean, not that it's – Chestnut Hill is not an ugly camp, it's still going to be wrong, but you're not getting guys there with the, ooh, you know, the, the, the curb appeal or wow factor. It's, a, it's, a, it's an attractive camp, but it's not, it's not USC. You know, you're not having quite that effect on people visually. Uh, they though there are several guys, but the offensive linemen in the league, it's not one of those. It's not seen as a football factory by the stretch of the imagination at this point. And they used to have um, the thing where they could say, "Hey, look how many." As you said, you know, we're an NFL style. You know, the offense is pro style. This is what, but you're right. Now they're going to be they're trying to be spread like everybody else without sort of the natural advantages of having, you know, Texas spread kids who've been running spread offenses since they were eight or Florida spread kids who've been running spread offenses since they were nine or whatever. These are kids who come out of, you know, usually more traditional offenses. So I think, as you said, more and more high schools are going that direction, so it might get easier for them. They are. I was talking to Brian Luis, who works with me, you know, at the ones I hear. So he lives up there, you know, in Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, I was just asking him a few questions. Yeah, a lot of teams are still running like power high, you know, <laughs> a lot of formation and, and stuff like that, and, you know, quarterback and center. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, oh, you know, in a few years, maybe four or five, that number's probably going to be really, really high on teams that run the spread. Um, even down south, I know there's still sort of schools that run like triple option, but. Everybody's putting a little spread in there, if not the whole shebang. So they'll eventually figure it out. I think um, it's gonna take. It's gonna be a curve, like you said, just because uh, you know they don't have the the resources. Um, and the campus, you know, I don't know about it really, to be honest. But um, it, it's you know, it's cold. I know that sounds stupid, well, but like, yeah, it's right. It's cold. It's, it's cold. It's hard to get kids from. It's an urban. It's an urban. First of all, it's an urban campus. I mean, it's it's not right in the city of of. of it's not in the center of the city. It's not downtown uh, Boston, but it is. You know, Boston. It's not. It's not in the country. It's not. It's it's an urban campus, like Temple, right. like, you know. I mean, so it's not the same college town experience you have. Because USC, I guess, is an urban campus too, but it's a different kind of urban. The kids Very who urban. go there want, want, <laughs> want that. Kind, they want that kind of urban. Um, yeah, they do. But, but yeah, yeah, you're not going to see girls in tank tops uh, strolling through. <laughs> right. But but not when no. you first visit, most likely. Eventually, you might see them. But I guess at the time your visit, right? If you time your visit right, you might see them. But right. there's not a common occurrence all times yeah. of year. It's not always eighty something degrees. No, and that's big. I mean, I know recruiting is weird. You, know, you guys ask me a bunch of questions about recruiting, and it's, it's a little thing, man. I mean, some kids will not go. Uh, if DC is giving you an invite up there um, in February, he's, he's going to stay home. He's not going to go to Christian Texas for it. Uh, and, and some of it's because recruiting is so big now that recruits are more ego kids school. I mean, I'm just that's just how it is. They see their names so much now. You know, 10 years ago, it wasn't like that unless you – were, you know, a five or four star. Now if you're three star, you've got some pool, you know what I mean? Um, so you don't have to go up there. I want to go February. Let me go in August when it's warm or now. You know, I'm not sure if it's warm in Boston right now, but <laughs> I would hope so since it's the summer. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's just how it is. A kid from California fly all the way out there. In February, not going to happen. Um, a top guy, you know, um, a guy fighting and scrapping for a scholarship offer, yeah, he's going to go up there. But, um, you know, five-star guy, probably not going to go up there. In winter, he'll go out to Florida, you know, especially campus or 
of Texas, but not D.C. So it's tough. You know, it's hard. Wisconsin's right. doing right. it, though. So there's no excuse. You can still do it. Wisconsin gets kids to go there. They, uh, and Wisconsin is doing it without, you know, changing. I mean, he's not changing to become more like everybody else. I mean, Wisconsin's still pretty much Wisconsin. So I guess Gary Anderson has modernized it a tad. It's still, you know, it's Wisconsin football. It's not that different from the Wisconsin football my father watched when Alan the Horse Amici was, you know, <laughs> running it out of the power eye in 1953. So, right. yeah, they, yeah it's, it's, it's still, Wisconsin football looks very much like Wisconsin football has for 60-plus years probably. The, but Nebraska, you mentioned, yeah, Nebraska as well. Okay. I was going to say, Nebraska too, I, to, I actually, I got to run, guys. I, I hate oh. that I have to be on the show. It's no, just that, it's, yeah, they're about to start. Don't worry, I'm uh, here. So. Yeah, they're about yeah. To, put, they're, I know you want. Yeah. I know. I know you want to miss the volleyball tournament. So get up, get on in there. <laughs> no, they're they're done <laughs> with volleyball. They're done with volleyball. You know, there's some kids out here from like Maryland <laughs> trying to play beach ball. There's a kid out here from Maryland trying to play beach volleyball for the first time, and this is what he's doing. But it's okay, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah, I do have to run. They're gonna start throwing and stuff. So and I gotta get so, out of here. No, but, I'm uh, glad you're able to, to join us. Down but before you run, tell people what you're up to, where you're. Doing stuff, what you're doing, all that good stuff. Yeah, like I said, um, thanks for having me on. Even though it was a short time, I'll try to catch up next time. I'm at um, rsenreport.com, and um, um, you know, I'm out here, Elite 11, um, Los Angeles right now. Just moved back home. Beautiful day to throw the football around, you know. Um, of so course it is. Hopefully, I can try to talk. Yeah, it's like 72 degrees. That's perfect. But. <laughs> Yeah, um, extremely. Hopefully, I, <laughs> I love that I'm back here. But no, I'm Elite Eleven uh, today and tomorrow. Um, and then they'll, you know, Trent Dilfer and his staff, Jordan Palmer, those guys will pick the Eleven to go to Beaverton, Oregon, and then you'll see it on TV. <laughs> you know, um, you know, since the recruiting's so big now, it's on ESPN, U, and ESPN two, um, this year. And yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And then you know, I'm still looking at 2016, um, NFL prospects, of course. Um, doing that as well, and pretty much it. Watching the NBA Finals, I guess, like everybody else too. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Perfect. Well, uh, tomorrow we will have our first prospect guest of the 2016 draft season. Uh, I'll be announcing them soon, and then we'll uh, we'll also finish up with the ACC. So we'll get to about halfway through the ACC tonight. We'll finish it up tomorrow. So uh, hey, I'll Bill. save some of the good... Yep. Oh. Sorry, I did not oh. get Paul Richardson on today. That's fine. So, Donovan, I'll, I'll, I'll save you some of the good teams for tomorrow. We're going to move on to Clemson. Obviously, um, unlike the disadvantages that are fought by Boston College recruiting-wise, Clemson wins a lot of recruiting battles. Say what you want about Dabo Swinney. He gets – I love Dabo Swinney. Not everybody does. Not even all Clemson fans do. But I think he should be talent. a head coach eventually in the NFL, I believe. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> as I said, they already was sold on him. Not everyone's sold on him down at Clemson, just so you know. But the, the, the Tigers have traditionally put together teams with talent and depth. Um, speed. They've, they've, that too. Talent, depth, speed, size, <laughs> all the stuff you want. They, they tend to have it year in and year out. Last year, uh, obviously, they, they just had the best four-year stretch at the end of last year that the schools had in its history. They got their starting And they've had, Hall of, they've, had Hall of, they've had Hall of Fame coaches there, like Frank Howard, 
you know, has, is a Hall of Fame coach, and he never had a four-year stretch like Dabo Swinney. But there is still a sense that, I mean, the term Clemsoning, you know, if you Google it, you'll find that it's basically treated, you know, like a word. I mean, Clemsoning is a gerund, I think, technically speaking. And so they still have to overcome that image that Clemson tends to, tends to Clemson in certain situations. But they bring back, obviously, Octavia Scott, Mike Williams, Deshaun Watson, I mean, the triplets, you know, as I people love call them. And then they've got, they've got, you know, Wayne Gallman and Tyshawn Guy. They uh, obviously have Chad Morris moving on. He's at, he's at, I already said that. He's at SMU oh, now. So the question is, okay. Well, let's get through this part, and then I'll bring you in, I promise. The, um, <laughs> as, as I said, Chad Morris has moved on to SMU, and we'll see if Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, who are the co-offensive uh, coordinators, can continue doing what they did. Jeff Scott is a, considered a wide receiver guru, and Elliott's more of the, the quarterback and run game guy, but we'll see how they mesh. Sometimes the co-offensive offensive coordinator thing works brightly, and then sometimes it I mean, you don't know how guys, those guys have learned to think like a married couple in essence. We'll see how quickly they can do it. Obviously, a lot of NFL talent just left. And the, you know, Beasley, Crawford, Jarrett, Stephon Anthony, Gary Peters. So they're replacing a lot of talent. The good news is they have a lot of talent to replace it. Deshaun so, so, the race so, Jim, so, so, speaking. Once again, metrics in terms of things like not just uh, you know athletic metrics, but also in terms of production metrics. Who should we be keeping a particular eye on this year at Clemson, Jim? Oh, uh, well, I mean, obviously Mike Williams. Okay, yeah, and what Williams is it about what 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 is it about Mike Williams that makes him stand out in your mind? Well, he's tall. Uh, Long arms, he gets football well, fast. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain. He reminds, it's like Martavis Bryant, but but more consistent. So we don't need another Mike Williams for for so. Oh, oh there's there's a lot more Mike Williams that they can play. You <laughs> know, there's room for there's always room for anybody that can play. One that's not a bust, hopefully. So yeah. You mentioned him, um, and you said he's the most interesting player they've got right now in terms of metrics. Yeah, I mean, in terms of metrics, he's the, because of production metric-wise, does pretty well uh, what he does. Also, our favorite Scott, similar uh, situation. Uh, Defense-wise, not. I mean, Jerron Curse is a guy you kind of wonder what he does in the second year, obviously. Uh, he's you know, big, tall safety, so he'll obviously go day two, whether or not he's really good or not. Um, I think that he's a young guy; he needs to improve a few things. But he, but he has a he has a prototypical size to look for in a big safety. The only thing he's really big, but uh, not not in like a terrible way, which is kind of really tall, long arms type of way. And that's really about it. Uh, I know that they have a lot of guys that they want to step up, obviously. Uh, I'm not 100% familiar with all those guys. But uh, this is going to be an interesting year. And, of course, Deshaun Watson uh, is really fun to watch, uh, obviously. Hey, Jim. I'm just saying, yeah, Watson, 
I know it's going to be hard for him to come up at 20, I feel, but what do you think so far, what is Taper uh, can translate to the NFL and what you've seen so far? Uh, do you think uh, he has a good shot making the NFL? I know it's too early in some terms, but of what you've seen so far. Uh, well, you know, sets. His, I mean, his mechanics have been improved a little bit, but they're not terrible. Um, he does set his feet pretty well. Uh, good accuracy and touch on the deep ball. It's probably best asset to a certain extent is his ability to hit deep targets. Um, he also is pretty safe with the football. Doesn't cause a lot of turnovers, uh, and uh, is. Trying to think of what he reminds me of. It's kind of hard to, to think about. Well, he's a little like the good version of Kenny Hill, only only less. He's that less likely to do stupid things the football, and less likely to do stupid things, I guess, on social media. But he he's a young guy. He needs to fill out a little bit physically. He's not skinny exactly, but he's not quite. It's not quite an NFL body. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's not like Taj Boyd. Yeah, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, though. If you can play well, football. Well, that was Taj Boyd. One of the Taj Boyd's knocks was he kept gaining weight like crazy. Well, I mean, Taj Taj lost about 17 pounds going into his senior year. He finally really got his conditioning under control. He was about yeah, he was in. He played. He's he played well. He's with, back up. I, I think. He's he's in camp. I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, but let the. Deshaun Watson is a guy that has a lot of qual. Deshaun Watson is a guy that shares a lot of qualities. He's like a bigger, stronger, faster version of Austin Davis to a certain example, to an extent. Uh, he has a lot of the qualities you look for in the modern spread quarterback, whatever term you want to use. The questions about him will be basically two things: mental, you know, can he go through a progression and things like that. that you're asking, you still ask quarterbacks to do in the NFL level. You you aren't simplifying things when they get to the next level. And of course, the other thing is just the not so much mechanics or his passing mechanics, but the taking a pass from under center. These guys nowadays, not only are they spread in college, but they're, most of them are spread in high school, and some of them were spread nowadays in youth leagues. There are now youth leagues where people aren't taking the ball from under center, so some of these guys have never taken True. that. Absolutely. But if I guess you don't care, though, Bill. <laughs> I think I might have just come up with a um, comparison for him. At the top of my head, I'm thinking uh, Brian Leftwich, but not as quite as good as Leftwich was coming out of college? Well, I mean, obviously, physically, he's not much like Leftwich. Leftwich was yeah, way yeah. bigger. And uh, and obviously, Leftwich was like a 5.0940 guy, so <laughs> athletically, yeah. they're very different. And he was, was big, and he was tough as me. He played on a broken leg. Yeah, yes, he played on all kinds of broken things. Um, but was it just weird that you think Leftwich would be good? Westwood was good. I mean, he has he has several very good seasons as a starter. That's not forget. He was 16 and his rookie year is funniest thing ever. He threw 16 touchdowns, 14 receptions, and he was upset he didn't make the Pro Bowl. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously he wasn't a Pro Bowl player, but he was a very <laughs> good. He was a very good player on a team that was not very good. So to you know, to be reminded, he wasn't very that healthy. He, well, he was never terribly healthy. He always battled. You know, n- nagging injuries. Either but, with a rib uh, or something. Yeah, well, he, he dealt with lots of things. He had leg injuries. He had shoulders. He had lots of stuff. But he was—he had a, a couple of year run there where he was one of the—he was certainly above the median 
amongst NFL quarterbacks for a uh, a while there. So looking at the uh, looking at Clemson, like you just said, people are always going to have high expectations, and Clemson fans, especially, are always going to have super high expectations because they always hear about how many four and five star recruits they've signed, and they always and they just feel entitled to but be playing for. <laughs> Right, isn't that the number one thing? They forget that they're Clemson. Well, that being said, they have a chance. That being said, they have a chance. Now, they need some guys to mature. They are a much younger team this year than they were last year. Last year, they were pretty senior heavy. This year, they are are not. They have a lot of juniors and sophomores who are going to be key players for them this year. And some of their incoming freshmen even will have to, uh, and redshirt freshmen will have to make an impact earlier rather than later for them to get back to where they were last year. I could see them taking maybe a slight step back to like nine and three or something, but. Well, in the record, I believe they might slip back, but I think this could be a better group than there was two years ago when Sammy Watkins was still there. I think it can be. I'm just taking an overall projection, but I think it can be better. Maybe not as talented on defense. Yeah, of course they could be. Uh, I just think that looking at their, I mean, they have a reasonably tough schedule, and they need some things to go correctly. They need some things to go right. If the things the right things, if the right things go right for them, yes, they could certainly be back uh, at or near the level where they've been recently. But yeah, they'll need to stay healthy. Obviously, I mean, they 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 don't have quite the depth that they have in the past. So if they have key injuries things could go south for them very quickly. But if some of these young guys do, back there. they have always have a lot of running back depth. They have a but good they'll need some. Year. They always do. I mean, when's the last time you remember Clemson not having a good running back? Probably not in your lifetime, Isaiah. So um, that's not really There's really. been some times. <laughs> there's been some rough period of stretches where they haven't had a very good running back at Clemson. No, they usually have good running. Even when they don't have a good running game, sometimes because their offensive line struggles, they usually have – they. It's South Carolina, Georgia, that area in North Carolina, the areas they recruit most heavily have a lot of running back talent. And it's hard to think well, of a year they don't I have mean, a – What I mean is NFL talent that comes in from Clemson at the running back position, there really isn't much. I mean, other well, than T.J. Spiller, Andre Ellington, and a few others. But. There's a bunch of others. Going all the way back to the days of guys like Kevin Mack, I mean – uh, they've had, they have a very established tradition of good running backs, is what I'm trying to explain, of at Clemson. With that being said, <laughs> they still have a lot of things that have to go right for them to be, like I said, where they were last year. It could, it could happen. They could be as good. They could be better even. But I'm just saying a lot will have to happen. They'll need some young guys to grow up. They'll need to stay healthy. And everyone looks at us, you know, obviously Florida State and Clemson. But as we mentioned a little before, and we'll go into more depth, we talked a little bit about Duke. Now, clearly Duke has the, you know, deal with the fact that still people think of Duke as a, you know, basketball school, and that's never going to change. You know, you're never going to fully outrun the legacy of a guy like Coach Krzyzewski, which is interesting because I remember watching Duke when they were a struggling basketball program. When Bill Foster was there before Jesse came in, 
you know, they were a 500 or so franchise. They would they would feel good about getting over 500, and they were below 500 the first two years of Chesky there. People forget that, you know, he had to turn it around there. And I remember when he had Jim Spinarco and Gene Banks and that bunch, and he first began to sort of turn the corner uh, with some of the guys he had down there to do. But so now it's this sort of legendary basketball program where their football program, which is actually a very good one, has been lately overshadowed. And it'll be a struggle for them to get back where they've been. But once again, it's not impossible. I don't think nine or ten wins is likely. But they've built something. You know, some people are going to go back to being a five or four or six win team either. I think probably we're looking at somewhere around seven or so wins. But looking at the actual prospects and looking once again at metrics, who intrigues you, Jim? Obviously, people talk about Cash, who I'm a big fan of, but who are some of the guys that, metrically speaking, you think have a good chance to succeed at Duke University, Jim? Well, Jeremy Cash, you mentioned him. Uh, there's also uh, Devon Edwards. Uh, he's another guy that has kind of made his uh, presence known. But uh, other than that, that's about it. Yeah, I couldn't name a single player on that roster. Well, you should be able to. It's a good team. <laughs> yeah, a team, though, Bill. I mean, I know. Jeremy Cash. Jeremy Cash. Good team is overall. Be, yeah, yeah. Not many household names. Be, right. Jeremy Cash well, is going to probably be the, the one of the best strong safeties next year. Yeah, uh, people are going to talk about him a lot. But. It's probably going to be in a conversation as a nickel guy at some point, right? Um, maybe one of the offensive linemen will get cute and go in the first round. Um, is, is, is Bob Whitfield's son, son still there, or is he, has he graduated? Who? Bob Whitfield. Remember the – well, maybe you don't remember. The offensive tackle for the uh, Falcons in the 80s and 90s, Bob Whitfield. He, he had a son that was there. I don't know if his son's still there now. I think he's still there. I think he is. <laughs> Jacoby, Jacoby Whitfield is his name. I don't know if he's still there or not, but I'll just have to check. But he's a guy that, well, he's big, first of all. I mean, I can tell you that much. He's bigger than the average Duke offensive lineman. Now, he oh, struggled wait, with... Oh, you mean Jacoby Cofield? That's what I meant. Sorry. Sorry. Not oh. Whitfield. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Well, but, he, um, he actually was in this draft class. He was one of the... Yeah, he was. Okay, I thought, I thought he was gone. He, he, was, he was never going to stay healthy, and yeah. he ended up... Sending at least one redshirt year hurt. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought he might have been gone already. So that kid, unfortunately, never had a chance to become what he might have become if he'd ever been able to put together a whole healthy season. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I I said before that simply Duke is is first and foremost an academic institution and secondarily a basketball institution and tertiarily, you know, a football institution. But I don't want people to sell short obviously what Coach Cutcliffe has done. My only concern, obviously, is how long can they keep him. He's basically made chicken salad out of chicken fat. Uh, to a certain extent, I consider what he's been handed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough job. They have very high academic standards, and they don't have a huge tradition to build on. They had a couple of good years, you know, back a million years ago under Coach Wallace Wade. And then, in fact, they, they won some big bowl games under Coach Wade back in the 40s and, and early 50s, then things went, you know, pretty quickly downhill. Uh, they had a couple of good years back when Sonny Jurgensen was their quarterback in the, you know, in the mid-1950s, and then, you know, they completely fell off the face of the earth 
until Spurrier got there in the 80s, and he and Ben Bennett and Clarkson Hines, you know, kind of rewrote the ace record book, and then things quickly went right back downhill once Spurrier left. So we'll see if two things happen. One, can they retain this spark plug, spark plug head coach who's managed to help their program to get up off the mat for a while? And two, if he does leave, can they not do what they've done in the past? When their spark plug head coach leaves, can they, you know, not go right back to being terrible? So that'll be that'll be a real challenge for them because they've never done it before. Usually when the, you know, when Coach Wade left, went right back down. When Coach Spurrier left, they went right back down. So the question is, can they maintain excellence even if, you know, the coach who helped them to be good leaves? And it's just hard for them to recruit. You know, we talked about it. It's hard for them to win recruiting battles consistently, partially because the fact that kids don't still don't tend to associate Duke with football. And then the other thing being they're surrounded by other schools that are more prominent. And then the last but not least, once again, academics. You know, you can't limp in there out of some junior college with a 2.2 GPA and play for Duke. It doesn't work that way. So with Duke, is it more of a recruiting thing? That's why they don't produce uh, it's, it's, many. It's what I just said. It's, acad- it's academics. You know, I mean, a lot of kids just can't get in. You know, <laughs> like that's, you know, hey, what's your, what's your ACT or what's well, your SAT score? <laughs> You know, so that's the first question. Even when they have a kid who really wants to come and is a really good player, does he have the academic? They're almost like the service academies. Their academic profile is more similar to the service academies and Stanford and Northwestern. Harvard. And, yeah, to a certain even a place like Harvard, than it is like the rest of the ACC. You have two super difficult, hard, you know, academically hard schools to get into uh, in that conference, but the hardest is due. So – You've got to be a really good student. So that's the first challenge. And like I said, I mean, think about it. Look at how close they are to better-known and larger schools. They're eight miles from Carolina's campus. Eight. Eight. You could, if you're in good shape, you can run it. So that's very close. I mean, talk about recruiting battles. I mean, some of the ugliest recruiting battles you'll ever see in your life take place eight miles from each other. And, you know, unfortunately, Donald is not with us anymore, but he could tell some pretty interesting stories, and I think from the old days, I mean, in the old days, especially more basketball than football, Duke didn't win any recruiting battles in football with Carolina in the old days ever. But they used to win the occasional basketball recruiting battle, and like I said, it would get not ugly because Krzyzewski and and Dean Smith are very classy dudes, but it was definitely competitive. So, yes, they have to – the ACC is pretty packed together. It's not like the Big 12 where they've got a school in West Virginia – you know, school in Oklahoma, Kansas, and a school in mean, Iowa. These schools are drivable, many of them. You can drive from Wake Forest to Carolina to Duke to NC State in less than a day. And I've known guys who've done it. Those schools are pretty darn close to each other, you know? So that's the other thing. Your, your talent base has a lot of options, even within the conference, that are very close to each other. California is a big old state, a lot of schools in it, a lot of pac schools, but those schools are pretty spread out with the exception of, of uh, USC and UCLA, which are, once again, very, very close to each other. The rest of them are spread out. Even Oregon and Oregon State or Washington and Washington are far from each other. They're the same state, but they're not close. <laughs> you know, they're, they're a good distance from each other. There's nothing like, I mean, like I said, there's nothing like Carolina. North Carolina has a lot of 
school very close to each other. And when, with one of them having a really good run in terms of football, it makes it hard for the others to, you know, to prosper, to thrive. Now, the good news is for Duke is that Carolina football has been down a little bit recently. Wake Forest football, which was pretty good for a while there, has been down recently. NC State, I think, is on the rise. I think NC State's going to be sort of a, a sleeper this year, or unless you've been paying attention. They may, I mean, maybe you don't consider them a sleeper, but they're going to be a good team this year, better than they've been in, in probably a while. So you've got NC State sort of on the rise, but still there's enough meat on the bone for Duke to still do well. They're you guys use that same term. That term with the meat on the bone, I'm sorry. I had to hear that from uh, Joseph Randall this week. Well, you'll hear it from lots of people, right. I mean, it just means that, you know, there, there's room for – North Carolina is not unlike my home state of Virginia in that uh, its coastal areas tend to be fairly talent-rich, and they don't have a lot of large metropolitan areas. It's not like you have a Los Angeles or a New York or a Chicago or even a Boston. The, the, the closest thing to a large metropolitan population center in the state of North Carolina is Charlotte, and Charlotte is, you know, a medium-large city. With very good football, Independence High School is a factory, you know, but but most of their talent is the coastal areas, a little bit around Charlotte, and then a lot of those mountain, little mountain towns where these, you know, country-strong kids just play really good football, even though they don't have a lot of attention sometimes, you know, Tarboro and, you know, all those uh, all those places along the, the what we call the Pulp Road where all the uh, Weyerhaeuser and, uh, you know, all the, the pine trees are grown and cut. Uh, you know, that's the smell of turpentine. But some of those places out there, you find the League of Football. That's where, what's his name's from? Um, uh, Heath Schuler, right? So he ended up in Tennessee, but he's a North Carolina kid. But the, the point I'm making is that it's a place where there's a fair amount of talent, but it tends to be kind of spread out, not very centralized. There's not like Miami. It's not like South Florida where, you know, oh, well, I'll hit these four schools and I'll be done with recruiting. You know, but I'm saying you can almost do that. Look, when Miami was at its peak, they would hit just a handful of schools. We'll hit Stringham, we'll hit, uh, you know, San Aquinas, or we'll hit, we'll hit my, Miami Central, we'll hit Miami Northwestern, and you could be pretty much done. Each world school has seven or eight legitimate D1 prospects. You could load up and have your recruiting class done in four schools. When they were dominating – the, the recruiting in the South Florida area, as they did in the 80s and 90s, they, they could do that. They could be done in four or five schools. Boom, we're done. They weren't a national recruiter. You're forgetting, with Miami's at best, it was not a national recruiter. It was a local recruiter. They recruited what they called the state of Miami. They didn't recruit all of Florida. They didn't. They, they, they just recruited South Florida, and that's all they did, and that's all they needed to do. They didn't get the occasional, you know, kid who would come on, like, like Gino Toretto, you know, sort of a flyer from out of nowhere. They could occasional kid like Kevin Fagan from New Jersey. But it was a handful of kids. Uh, you know, Greg Olson, you know, Shockey from Oklahoma. But this, that was the exception, not the rule. They weren't recruiting nationally. They just occasionally would get a kid from someplace else. You know, Jarrett Payton from up here in Chicago. But those kids were the exception. Those kids decide, Those kids recruited Miami. Miami didn't recruit them. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Jarrett Payton you know, was writing Miami like, hey, you know, I'm Walter Payton's kid, check me out. I'm not kidding when I say that. He recruited them. So they don't doubt you. So it's a it's a very different situation is what I'm putting out. You don't have the ability to just draw a circle around a few a handful of schools. That's how Texas got in trouble though. 
they used to draw a circle around a handful of, of, of schools and basically just recruit those areas. And those they had a little fear system from these schools, but when those schools weren't as good as they were used to them being, South Texas was in trouble because they hadn't established as many broad-based relationships across the state as they probably should have, and it concentrated on relationships they built with just a, a handful of coaches at a few big schools. And eventually it got them in trouble. You know, it got Mac Brown fired eventually. But I'm just saying North Carolina operates differently. You don't just have a hand. You know, there's a few powerhouse schools, like I said, Independence High being one of them. But that's not how most teams build in Carol- in the state of Carolina, or the Carolina area. Most schools, you know, have to go beat the bushes all over the, the area, all over the state of North Carolina, all over South Carolina, all over, you know, Virginia, all over Maryland, all over, all over. Maryland is, a, once again, a slightly different deal in that they is a little more centralized. You've got Baltimore. You've got the Washington, D.C. area, the area like Suitland, Silver Spring, right outside of the, of the, state, of, uh, the capital city of Washington, D.C., where there's a fair amount of talent. And then Western Maryland is basically Pennsylvania. You know, you see a lot of kids from Havana Grace, which is where the Ripkins are from and places like that. A lot of those kids are actually at Penn State or places like that, or even West Virginia. West Virginia is very well in the entire state of Maryland. Of course, they're in the Big 12, which is confusing, but whatever. The, uh, the fact is that Duke has to do two things. It does have to recruit nationally. Kids who are good football players and that good a student are looking at usually deciding in places like Harvard, Duke, uh, you know, Yale. They're looking Stanford. at Northwestern. They're looking at Stanford. Stanford wins a lot of those recruiting battles, obviously. The service academy, these are guys that are considered the service academy. The kind of students they get after, the kind of football players they get are guys who usually have the service academy somewhere on their list. So that gives you an idea of the kind of guys they get. So it's not quite like the same guys that are going to USC or Miami. Texas, for the most part. And those are recruiting guys that could win anyway, so it doesn't make sense to go after them for the most part. It makes sense to go after the guys that are considering Northwestern or Tulane, right? So those are the battles. They need to win most of them. They need to stop losing those battles to places like Stanford. And that would mean Stanford would go down a little bit. It means Duke would maybe take that next step. That's what that, that's what that would mean. So at some point, I guess we have to discuss Florida State. There's no way to avoid discussing Florida State. Uh, Florida State clearly is the the monster One in the room. They have talent. They have tradition. You know, they they won a your opinion. Well, let's just talk about the <laughs> team as a whole and talk about its, its situation in terms of what they get. Now, once again, you know, we are our recruiting uh, uh, guru Donovan is not here, but. It is just a fact that they are a top five recruiting team the last four years in a row, I believe. If I'm not, I, think, I think I'm correct in that they've been in the top five for four years in a row. Who was just the first LSU? LSU's been up there. It's one of the who's rankings you use because not everybody agrees. I know Alabama's like probably been up there. LSU. Alabama's always up there. LSU's always up there. Mm-hmm. At, least one, at least one Pac-12 school usually is somewhere in the discussion. But a bunch there, of SEC yeah. schools, a bunch of SEC schools always, um, and then Florida State. Is it Louisville? Louisville isn't quite top five, but I think a top ten, which is big news, big doings for Louisville. You know, for football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Louisville was, a, Louisville was a basketball school not that long ago. So 
You know, they yeah, have Teddy Bridgewater came out. Well, I mean, yeah, Jim, Charlie Strong recruited a bunch of players from Florida, and there you go, you have Louisville. Right. So Louisville won its first national championship under Jimmy Crum back in the 80s. And obviously, you know, after Jimmy Crum had a really good run, they've had, you know, a pretty good time under under uh, Patino. But now the football program, you know, is not quite on the same level, but it's getting there. Uh, they are a team, once again, with a shot at nine or ten victories if they get the right people in place. But Florida State is a lot of – some people have, you know, basically installed Florida State as the – ACC champion until otherwise don't stop. What? That's One quick question on Florida State, though, for you. Why is it they're able to produce so many good defensive backs and not so many good top receivers? Well, okay, two things. Part of it is prioritization. Um, they prioritize defensive back talent. And it's worked. <laughs> I mean, they, they've gotten a lot of guys who play – at a high level, they've got a couple of, you know, got a guy in the Hall of Fame, and they've done pretty well. And they have really good coaching at that position. And I'm not trying to throw their position coaches at the wide receiver position under the bus, but <laughs> if, I, if, I were, if I were to roll off the names of the guys who coached their secondary in the past few years, it's, it's like the who's who of coaching. I mean, Chuck Amato at one point was their DB coach before he eventually became a, a coordinator. Mickey Andrews, I mean – these are guys that anybody who knows anything about coaching will, you know, stands up and salutes. So they've had, they've had good coaches across the board, good coaching across the board, but they've had great DB coaches, like top 10, top 20 in the last 40 years type coaches at that, at that position. They've had great defensive back coaches. That's part of it. And, there, it's a, look at look at where is their team located, right? It's in a place where defensive back talent is floating up out of the you know out of the muck and mire of the swamps. I mean, it's it's a place where defensive backs just breed and grow and can be found. Uh, obviously, Dion's from Merritt Island, which is out on the 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 you know Panhandle area, but. You've got Ed Reed down there towards the well, he's a Louisiana kid actually, but you've got uh, you've got a bunch of guys from obviously South Florida, uh, Tampa. I mean, it's just an area where there's just crap loads of speed athletes, right? And yeah. if you if you coach them up and they work hard themselves, you're going to some of those guys are going to develop. You know, if you're coaching them, they're working hard and they have the talent. Almost by accident, at some point, somebody's going to be good if you get a bunch of terrific athletes and coach them well. Eventually, like someone's going been, to be good. Like they eventually hit on Ang and Bolton, eventually. So, so there, yeah, I mean, they've had a lot of wide receivers in the league. We, you know, we've had some of their guys. We talked to Javon Walker. We've, we've had Snoop Minnis on. When Jeff Lloyd's show, we've had. So there's a lot of wide receivers that come from there. But I think two things have prevented some of their wide receivers from having the same kind of stuff. One is, even though there's a lot of guys who are pretty good athletes, I mean, Javon Walker was a really good athlete, but he's a guy that couldn't stay healthy. You know, and then in the case of Antoine Bolden, he was recruited as a quarterback, as I'm sure we all know, but he ended up playing, playing both positions while he was at Florida State, uh, partially due to Chris Ricks, but we'll talk, we'll talk more about that later. 
but they they've had some success. It just hasn't. It's just that the guys who are your classic X type receivers, six two, six three, six four, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and run four five and under. They haven't actually had a lot of those types. Javon Walker being one of the exceptions. Uh, they tend to have either big guys who weren't super athletic, or they've had really super athletic guys or pretty athletic guys who are smaller, quicker, like I said, more slot receiver type. And you, and so that's a craftiness thing. You know, it's not just about talent when you're when you're that guy. You've got to be a guy who's got a really high football IQ and works like like the devil on your craft until eventually you overcome the limitations that you have. You know, Wes Welker being sort of the classic example of that. And those guys don't come along that often, quite frankly, because you're you're having to do so many things technically correct to get to that level. So those guys just have a hard time. So even though they recruit a lot of super, super, you know, high, you know, highly ranked athletes at a lot of positions, their receivers tend to fall in one of those two categories, either larger and sort of clunkier or smaller and quicker, they don't change for whatever reason to, to see, you don't see those sort of classic Des Bryant types. Like, I've watched Florida State football since long before you were alive, and I can't think of a Des Bryant type that there has there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, first time I watched Florida State play football, you weren't even close to being born. Well, <laughs> the Des Bryant type was playing tight end back there then, though. Right. Well, that's a good way to put it. Okay. Then that's, that's a good way to rephrase the question. So, they don't, those guys get moved to another position might be a better way to put it. You know, they end up playing something other than wide receiver, perhaps. Um, like you were saying with their DBs before, is that just sort of the same thing with the running back, the coaching and recruiting, basically? So. It's, it's a combination of coaching and recruiting, like most things in college football. If you, mm-hmm. coach, yeah. if you coach well and recruit well, eventually you're going to have success, particularly if you are able to have a certain stability. You know, you're, you're running sort of the same kind of system, same kind of scheme. Guys get a chance to really learn it. People gain confidence in it. Coaches can recruit talent that fits the scheme. So, are they sort of like uh, Wisconsin when how they're they, are they starting to become the new tailback to you? Well, I mean, I would say the the offensive line. You really their tailbacks uh, are, you know, I mean, a mixed bag. Some are fairly talented. Some of them are guys who, you know, lucked out and ended up at Wisconsin, uh, but where they would have been maybe a little less highly touted if they ended up at a different school. Even, hey, put these guys in Indiana and see how good they are. But <clears throat> what I will say is they have a philosophy. And if you have a philosophy of running football and you build an offensive line filled with large, angry men, at some point people you're going to have success running. Yeah, they're people movers. And they, they, that's what they build everything around. And, if hey, if we throw the ball a little bit, that's a bonus. I mean, when they had Russell Wilson, it was like, Oh, ooh, hey, throwing the football is fun. But then once he was gone, I was like, well, that was fun. Now back to what we do. So they, they weren't able to maintain it just because they don't, they don't build the machine around that. The machine is built around slamming big people into your big people who aren't as big as my big people, and they basically wear you down and you get big plays every once in a while, especially if a running back has a certain level of talent. But even the running backs don't have a certain level of talent, quite frankly, the way they built the machine, they can have success. You know, look at the, the successes. Like I, said, I mean, Ron Dane won a Heisman Trophy, kids. You know, so so don't don't fool yourself. 
You know, they, they, they can succeed. They can succeed with a lot of people back there. So getting back to Florida State, Jim, what, what, do you think, what do you think will end up coming out of this particular version of Florida State football? Who are some of the guys that you think, metrically speaking, in terms of production and physical ability, have the best chance to be positioned? For the next level. Uh, well, Jalen Ramsey's only, I mean, coming into this year, he's the only guy who really um, um, sticks out 100%. Uh, is that far as draft eligible guys? Uh, and he's, uh, and I know people want him at safety, but I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter where he plays. <laughs> I think if he plays a cornerback safety, um, he's uh, They're going to be in pretty insult no matter what. What? I said they're just gonna. Do, I said they're just gonna be in the NFL no matter what, no matter what position they play back there. It seems like. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Jalen Ramsey, he's instinctive, he's pretty quick, um, and everything like that. The defensive line is the defensive line. Um, as far as spring ball goes, I checked out their spring ball, and Dalvin Cook is still Dalvin Cook. I would say if you were a big fan of Carlos Williams, Bill, Woo-hoo. then you'll like uh, <laughs> Jack Quay's Patrick. He's basically a Carlos so Williams. Does he, does, he, does he also have no ability to find the hole? Okay. He has some ability to find the hole. <laughs> you know, he actually was a running back in college, so that's a plus. Oh, well, okay. like a shot, uh, Bill. Yeah, he actually <laughs> has some experience. So he's about 6'1", 225 pounds back and fast. Um, one of the receivers that really caught my eye also was uh, George Campbell. He's about yep. oh, 6'3", 197. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's pretty good. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about him, though, Bill? Yeah, Jim. I'm very impressed. The thing that usually bothers me about bigger receivers, still get all this stuff about bigger receivers, but a lot of them have problems with body control. That is not a, an issue for Mr. Campbell. He has really yeah, good body control. Yeah. Yeah, sort of Anquan Bolden body control? Well, it's different. I mean, Anquan Bolden is like a lion. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, like, it's like watching Jonathan Beeson line up a slot receiver. I mean, it's, it's, he's 232 pounds. I'm not kidding. He's the same, they're the same size. He's 6'1 and 3 quarters and 232 pounds. So, yes, it's like watching... A, a will linebacker line up his slot receiver. But um, this kid's got really good sense of where he is in space. He has very quick feet for a big kid. He has good natural ability to pluck the ball. He could still continue to evolve as a route runner, but that's true of almost every young receiver. But I see good things in the future for him. He could be the one that sort of breaks their sort of inability to have a really true X you know, classic, yeah. you know, de- like I said, sort of Desi yeah. or, 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 or not quite Julio. Desi. Jones, but, uh, not Desi, hard. not quite Julio, but. He, he's good. I mean, he's a good player. Uh, I, I would say watch the, uh, the spring ball game. It's, it's on YouTube. Um, and he can make plays here and there. We're pretty, pretty good place for a tall guy. I'll have to say. <laughs> so, um, if, he had entered, if he had entered the draft, 
uh, what round do you think he may have landed on what what episode? Well, I mean, but, we know uh, so little about agent. Yeah, we know so little about his athletic testing, and there's so much depth in the wide receiver class, that would have been a bad idea for him. But uh, <laughs> assuming assuming he continues to develop physically, and let's just say for the sake of argument, he runs low 4.5s, high 4.4s, four and he gets a little stronger in this class, which is still not a bad receiver class. I, I, I think we're pretty much going to have good receiver classes for the next rest of this decade, it looks like. But it's not quite as deep as last year's. He This year, if he improves, he's a guy who's probably going to go somewhere in the third, fourth range. He could go higher if he runs faster than I think he runs. Now, that's always an open question mark. I mean, Rashard Perryman was a guy that on tape to me looked like a 4.51 to 4.48 guy. So, Can you run you know, a 4.2? Well, no, really. I mean, four, three. Right, yeah. exactly. but even then, he doesn't play that. He never, he never has. He yeah, likely never will. Really knock on it now. Well, he, I mean, basically the combine, I would say that he, he runs faster than he actually plays it, so I don't know if that's maybe a motor or just... Well, here's what it is. A lot of guys train specifically to run the 40 nowadays. This is different from how it used to be. And so they're training not as a football player, they're training as a sack athlete, Isaiah. So they're not running like they run on a football field. They're running very oh. differently from they're on a football field, in fact. So they, they, they're running in a drive phase where they only look up for the first four steps, and then they go into their transition power phase, and then they finish out. But basically it's about they, they start so differently in terms of the way they generate power and speed from the way they play football that the two are completely different things. Well, you don't run that way start, on a football field. Well, the first the, the first ten yards is really a judge of explosiveness, and then the rest is what your speed is. I would say yes. Perryman didn't look fast on tape because he had some of the same issues that Kevin White had in terms of efficiency yep. route and kind of clunkiness, not always yep. taking really good angles as a receiver to really, you know, just hit the hole and go straight, you know, on right. angles. So. Because he, he oftentimes, he, instead of, you know, flattening his route and stuff like that, he would just try to, you know, dig it, just waste his movement, basically. So Right. He was, he everything that was wrong with Kevin, Kevin was, right. Every, is Kevin White, just not as right. refined as Kevin White. Exactly. Scary, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. He's a less refined Kevin Wright. So everything that was wrong with Kevin White was even more wrong with Rashad Perryman. And so that's why he didn't play anything like his 40 time, because he can't. He doesn't know how to. Well, I also think the boy time is a bit of a sham. I don't care what you can run without pads or, you know, any of that. Well, Why don't they just run it with it? <laughs> it's not that the 40 time is a sham, Isaiah. It's that it doesn't translate to football. It's a different, it's a separate event. I don't care it's how like, fast you can it's run like, a straight it's like, line. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like having someone throw a shot put and then saying, well, I'm going to judge how good a baseball pitcher you might be based on that. You can't. It's a completely well, different thing. The only thing it has in common... In terms of football technical value, it just deals with your ability to outrun people in a 40-yard area, which doesn't always happen as much as football. It happens rarely, in fact, in football. Now, that extra bit of being able to outrun people can be the difference between scoring a touchdown and just getting 20 yards. Getting tackled at the... Right, exactly. Right. For me, the 40 is like pointing out, hey, I'm faster than you, I'm faster than you. That's what Chris Johnson basically said. But, you know, I just, you guys are right. It's very inclusive. You can't, you can't it's, project anything off of it, really. You can project, 
the one thing you, you can project, project something straight, that they you can, can you play with straight it. line. You can project straight line acceleration is what you can project. That's what it tells you. Oh, well. Right. What is that really? But not everybody uses. But not everybody uses Johnson, straight line acceleration. Well. We knock Chris Johnson now. Chris Johnson. Well, was he doesn't run his straight line. About yes. three years, he was leading the he league. He was awesome. And, you know, he was absolutely and was awesome. awesome for, for a then while. He got there, a yes. bit, then he got a little bit slower, and Tennessee's offensive line got a little bit worse. And he worse. kept right. trying to just bounce plays out to the outside, became lazy as a runner, and that, there you go. That's what happened. Yep. Right, exactly. That is that you is know? the story on him. Speed is but important. The, I would say that speed, yeah. like power, like quickness and explosiveness is is just as important. I just think the people who value speed over those other sort of things and don't look at those other sort of things are, you know, that's where they don't, that's where they don't see the, and I would also say that you do hit a point of with speed where say you run like a four, eight or four, nine or whatever, where all the guys who ran 40, four, nine are bust. Yeah. So I mean, you need some does, speed. Right. Right. At some point, there are certain positions you can't play if you don't have a certain level of speed. That's that is a yeah. Fact. You can't you can't play a wide receiver with DB really. Well, you can play DB, but you would have to be able to keep up with the receiver. I mean, well, I would say really... that, I would say that I would say that way around is more likely that you can be a successful kind of slow wide receiver than you, you know, because you have the advantage of being able to Having initiate certain things. Right, you have the first move. DBs I mean, are always reacting. Well, the, the great example. The great example once again is is uh, Anquan Bolden. Actually, <laughs> slower than even slower than Welker is Anquan Bolden. But is? he understands that. Yes. Oh yes. But he knows enough about once again former wide former quarterback. He knows enough about what he's doing and how to position himself and power. He's a super power, strong, mean, nasty two hundred thirty pound two two hundred thirty two pound dude. Yeah, and he so, turned into something, you know. But right. you also have to remember there's Anquan Bolden, and that's about it for the last 15 years. It's a short so. list of successful wide receivers who run in the 4 7. And yes, he's at the top of the list, obviously. There's only a handful of guys who are super successful 4 7 running wide receivers. So, yes, it, it certainly is more difficult to have success that way. That brings us to Georgia Tech, where, um, you know, the mad scientist. Paul Johnson continues to tinker with the flex bone and somehow continues to get terrifically talented wide receiver prospects to come there and not develop. But Georgia always has good wide receivers. That's not all the chance. Do we have you? Yeah, so uh, looking, metrically speaking, especially at certain positions, that's all I guess you can look at some of these guys with metrics-wise. Um, what what have you noticed when you look at the guys who are there at uh, Georgia Tech right now, Jim? Well, right now, uh, I mean, they always have a, a really big running committee. So yep. nobody's really stuck out there 100%. Um, DeAndre Smelter was their entire offense pretty much last year, passing offense, I mean, um, and now he's yes. gone. Um, yes. Darren Waller was the other part of that as the offense. Now he's gone. Yep. Um, uh, Paul Davis is kind of interesting. Um, I haven't actually checked him out 100%, but he's the guy that kind of racked up a, a huge amount of tackles and stuff like that, but I haven't actually watched a ton of him. 
but he's somebody that kind of stuck out a bit. And also DJ White, another guy, well, kind of stuck out. But um, there's not a not a ton of people, you know, as far as individual offensive players. So um, that I at least I that I know of. So that's kind of where I'm at. Right. Hey now. guys. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna have to uh, cut this short. I have to That's go. Fine. I have to go cook on the grill today. Okay. Well, what are you up to? Tell people where you can find and follow your work, sir. Um. Uh, you can follow my work at um, Tavis Sports Report. I right currently I am going to be doing a top 100 of college players to be looking forward to. I have not started on it yet, but um, if you guys have any people that you feel should probably be on there, just shoot me a tweet. Um, so that's where I'm kind of at right now. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you. Always always a pleasure. Okay. So, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll, from here, we'll see you again soon. So as we, we, once again, sort of make our way through the conference, and normally this is where Maryland would be. I'm sorry. I'm going to leave that alone, but it's just so odd that they're not there to me. So that Still moving our way through the conference, we still have the um, we have uh, you know a few different a few different things to take a look at. So um, a school that I'm excited about, and I mentioned I'm excited about, obviously NC State. I uh, have seen the you know quote unquote Wolfpack go through a period where they were you know a contender, a very good team on the edges for a long, long time, contender, decent team, and then sort of fall absolutely apart. Uh, Coach Tom O'Brien was shown the door. Uh, they, you know, wandered in the um, wilderness a little bit. Dave Dornan, you know, uh, not, a, not a surprise hire, but a um, – and, and I guess a fairly, fairly well-received hire, but – you know, clearly he's a different kind of cat from from Coach O'Brien, who, of course, you know, Naval Academy graduate, Marine officer, uh, sort of a, a Coach Coughlin kind of guy. They have a different vibe there now at uh, at NC State, and and obviously it'll be remain to see if they can, you know, take that next step. But, they they clearly are headed in the right direction, or seem to be headed in the right direction. What did you notice about what's going on there at NC State there, Jim? What did you notice about the players and who sticks out to you? Uh, I mean, obviously he starts Kobe Brissett. Um, he's interesting, I guess, is what I'll say. Uh, I think. Okay. I think that. Uh, there's just stuff that bugs me with him. I don't know, just in terms of his mechanics a bit. But yeah, he's, that, he's he's a guy with a big kind of not not big wind up, but I mean there's some there's some extra movements, I guess is how I put it. Yeah, it's not as compact uh, as it could be. And he's not always the most accurate with the ball. No, no, that's true. But he does again. Interesting, right? So. Uh, like in terms of senior quarterbacks this year, I would have like Brandon Allen and Kessler 
and Brissette and Cook. Yeah, Cook is the favorite. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I would have them in that group of seniors, you know, coming back. Um, but it's just a lot of stuff I want to see more of. I, I I do like what he does, but he's just a little stuff soft bottom. But uh, but he is a he's a good player. Obviously, this year he was very efficient with football for the most part. Uh, and uh, I think in terms of everybody else. You know, Sadrick, uh, Shadrick Thornton at running back is kind of uh, like a skinnier TJ Yeldon, I guess. Sort of. I don't know. Um, kind of a, like if TJ Yeldon went on a hunger strike or something, I would kind of say kind of like that. Uh, as a player, they have, you know, Bo Hines has been doing some stuff. Defense-wise, King Jones is kind of a tall guy. Uh, he's kind of clueless, though. In, uh, tall but clueless. Okay. Clueless in coverage, but uh, all right, I got you. But he, but he does kind of tackle okay, I guess. If he figures out where stuff is happening, um, but he's a guy that might rise up places because he's tall and, and stuff like that. Right. People like he's tall. Things. And he runs um, fast on top of it. You know, well, <laughs> there we go. When, when, he, when he's going the right direction, yeah. Um, who else? Uh, I don't think there's anybody else that I remember 100%. Mike Rose might be, and Art Norman might yeah. be their best patch. I like him. I think right. Mike Rose would be a, a guy in that fourth, fifth round range, maybe when it's all said and done. Yeah, fourth, fourth, fifth, yeah, yeah, fourth, fifth round. Um, Bradley Chubb is the he's going to be you know starting next with Bradley Chubb this year. We'll kind of see what happens there. But honestly, there's not a ton of guys, you know, not a ton of guys. At least on defense. Best thing about NC State is their defense is they're def- they're definitely they definitely play defense. It's just that they they are usually have really big breakdowns in games that is kind of embarrassing at times. But uh, if, you know, Brissett, again, if Brissett could just become a little bit more efficient with his mechanics, I'll feel a lot better about him. But as of right now, I'm more intrigued with him than anything else. And he's the only guy that I'm really kind of excited about uh, other than the defensive players and stuff like that. Because like I said, Hakeem Jones is a guy that's tall, which will get scouts interest, but he kind of, you know, in terms of the safety, not a lot of safeness about him. So, like, I don't feel safe with Hakeem Jones, I guess, you know. So that, that's the only way I can really explain that. Sure. And... The team that sort of a dark horse team in the Atlantic, maybe not that dark a horse, actually, might be not a dark horse at all, though, I think about it, but a obviously a, a team that people are going to be discussing is Louisville. Um, Charlie Strong has moved on, and Petrino has returned. <laughs> uh, some people think it's awesome. Some people think it's great. 
I know. Some people get great knees back. Some people are not as excited. But, I mean, they were 9-4 last year, and two of those losses were very were like less than a touchback, six points or less. Uh, they were a team that conceivably was not difficult from – not uh, would not have been too difficult to see them as a double-digit win team last year. Uh, clearly, they, you know, lost some dudes. You know, they, you know, and guys have moved on, but plus, plus their starting left. lineup. Yeah. yeah, there's that. Yeah. Pretty much on offense and defense, certain extent. Actually, but, yeah, they lost every. Never mind, they lost every guy. Right. Well, they have Will Gardner, who is uh, uh, not a full-time starter, but you know, a guy that was in the in the mix. And they have Reggie Bonifon and Tyler Ferguson, you know, guys who are in that quarterback battle as well. They have Brandon Radcliffe, L.J. Scott, a running back. They have James Quick, uh, wide receiver. Uh, Keith Fawbridge is tops in the depth chart at tight end. And Charles Danbury is sort of in there with him. They have uh, Tabija, 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 uh, Tobija. I don't know. I don't know. You agree at center. Uh, Skylar Lacey is uh, at one guard. They have uh, Aaron Epps, who is a guy that, you know, looks more like a guard than a tackle to me, but a guy who has a, a shot to, may, to make it in the, in the league at uh, either maybe as a priority on draft free agent. Um, yeah, Ryan Mack, also a guy who's likely to play one of the tackle spots for them next year. Uh, on defense, they bring back Sheldon Rankins, uh, who has got some talent. They have Pio Batuvi, or Tuve, Batuve, I guess perhaps, uh, who made some sort of plays against the run, I saw last year at D-Tackle. Um, D'Angelo Brown and Johnny Richardson are also guys who will see some time at, in the interior. They're actually one of the teams that does run a three um, – yeah, C4 defense. And you don't see a lot of that, obviously. So, uh, No, that's after, why everybody, you know, traps those people. Right. So, um, at the linebackers, and they do bring back Jermaine Reeve. Keith Kelsey is probably one of the leading guys, along with James Burgess. And at their weak outside linebacker, they have Nick Dawson. Other guys will see some time this year will probably be Keith Brown, Stacey Thomas, and Trevon Young. Uh, Trevon Young has made a couple plays in the past when he was playing for other people that I thought might be, you know, might be not too shabby. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some guys. Um, um, the punter and kicker are are steady. John Wallace and uh, Josh Appleby, but speaking of, or concentrating on Louisville, who are some of the guys that you think have a chance, based on once again the, the sort of metro analysis work, that you have a chance to be to be guys that, that could take that step and be successful NFL players? Well, going into this year, Sheldon Rankins is probably the top guy that kind of sticks out to me. Um, I kind of see him as a uh, as a possible three tech okay. kind of guy. 
and that's just because of his height. He's about six foot two, and six foot two defensive linemen don't normally work out well at three four defensive ends at the next level. Um, no, not usually. As much as people go, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just kind. Of, it's just, it's just what I see. Again, I'm not basing this on my opinion. It's just the best three, four defensive ends have to be six foot five, six foot four. Right. You know, they look like Aaron guy. Smith. Right, they look like Kimo yeah. von Allhoffen. They look like, you know, uh, those guys like Justin. Justin Smith was one of the shorter ones, right? I mean, wasn't he six four? He was six four. Yeah. Right. And he was super duper direct. He was like what? Watt productive, not at the level of Watt, but close. Right. Um, when he was playing at Missouri, and he obviously was a little, you know, he had a game weight and stuff like that, turned into the guy he became. So um, that's the thing with Rankins is he plays that sort of three four defensive end sort of thing, and they kind of move him around and stuff. But I would say best place for him in the NFL is probably a three tech or some sort of four three defense kind of system, but he's not bad. He's pretty good. He's one of the better interior defensive linemen in this class. Um, I just hope that he goes into the right um, system. Because that was the weird thing about this draft class, Bill, is we had lots of guys like Christian Covington and uh, Rakeem Nunez, Rochez, and Darius Filon who were drafted by three, four defenses. So I kind of go, all right. What? And I understand that people kind of throw in even fronts and stuff like that, but I was just kind of like, eh. You're just gonna use these guys as spell package players, but uh, that's how you can do with them. But yeah, he's the main guy that kind of sticks out. Will Gardner at quarterback uh, is a guy who flashes pretty good talent in terms of arm talent and uh, stuff like that, but it definitely needs some time to kind of develop. Uh, wide receiver wise, none of them really pop out. So, I mean, all the guys that were there kind of, you know, they got drafted. Uh, Gerald Christian obviously is gone. You know, Battleship has found a new home. Um, offensive line wise. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The only, I mean, Keith Kelsey at linebacker is probably somebody that I have too, in terms of a pursuit linebacker. Um, but that's really about it, man. Uh, Louisville was interesting last year, obviously, because they had Gerard Holliman at 14 interceptions, which was crazy. Ridiculous. Um, right. uh, I I don't even know how he got all those interceptions, uh, but he did. Uh, and you know, of course, James Sample kind of did some stuff. Lorenzo Malden, you know, all those bunch of guys. It's very much a a scheme sort of defense that works well because of the scheme that. And I also know that I believe they had that one guy from from uh, who's he from? Played at uh, TCU, and then he got oh, Devontae Fields. Devontae Fields, yes, 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 of course. Yeah, that guy who had an okay freshman season, and now he's going to go there and rekindle whatever he lost, sort of. That'll be interesting to see what he does there, obviously, and he'll be kind of a storyline um, there. But uh, that's all it that really leaps to mind. Hundred um, percent. There's a lot of uh, there's going to be lots of turnover, as I guess you know, in terms of the offensive line and wide receiver and tight end and everything everything. So uh yeah, and pass rusher and so I I, I just haven't seen these guys just been put. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting. 
Yes. Yes, it will be interesting. I think that based on what I'm hearing, and just I, I'm a sort of a, a bit of a fan of Gardner. I think he takes a, a step forward this year. I think there'll be you mentioned Kelsey. I think at least one or two of those guys on defense, and then obviously Quick. Uh, have you checked Quick out, the receiver James Quick? I've seen a little bit of him. Um, not did you get? Though. Did you get a sense of what you think he might be, or is it still too early for you? I mean, he's James Quick. <laughs> you know? He's a kind of medium-sized wide receiver, probably a little skinny, too, who kind of – that's the thing about Louisville's offense, and at least over a couple of years, is they all kind of look the same. Hmm. None of them really have a lot of individuality to what they do. So it's – like, there were times where I would watch one guy run around and then another guy ran around, and I thought it was the same guy <laughs> doing the mm. same thing. So, I don't know. But, I mean, he's, I mean, he looked, you know, he didn't look terrible. But I didn't, obviously, didn't, I, I didn't spend a ton of time looking at him. <laughs> so. Got it. And that brings us to Pitt, of all places. Um, first of all, like I said, I'm just trying to adjust to the fact that they're in the conference still. A uh, bit of an odd fit. I mean, it makes sense from both basketball and football standpoint. It gives them <clears> – <throat> I mean, West Virginia and Pitt should be in the same conference. That's who should be in the same conference. West Virginia and Pitt, and we'll figure out some other teams, but they should be in the same conference. You know, Pitt should not be the same conference as Oklahoma State, however. But um, I'm going to get over that. So, I mean, not Pitt. I mean, West Virginia should not be the same conference as Oklahoma State. But, yeah, the um, Yeehaw Conference. Yes, the Yeehaw Conference. Yes, that think, of, think of the mascot at West Virginia. It's, it's a white guy with a gun. Yes, and he's wearing buckskins. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> See? Fits in perfectly. Alamo at Texas. See? It fits the theme. I, I guess. I guess Kansas you're right. Jay, Kansas Jayhawks are like what you shoot down, which happens every year, you know? <laughs> Easy little birds just pew, pew. I got another Jayhawk. Oh, yes. So, um, Pitt is another one of those teams that I think is sort of on the precipice of, you know, either sort of spiraling downward into some, some ugliness or you know, announcing that they're ready to to contend, at least for, you know, not the whole thing, for a piece of the thing. So looking, I guess, based on what you analyze, what guys have done production and what you, in terms of production, what guys have done or what guys have shown athletically, what do you see at Pitt? And, and who do you see at Pitt for this coming year? Um, actually, most of them are on offense. Obviously, you know, James Conner, um, mm-hmm. As you like to say, if you like big backs, you cannot lie. Yes, he's a big one. Uh, yeah, other draft picks can't deny that James Conner is probably going to be uh, one of the uh, running backs. That kind of sticks out a bit. Um, you know, he's a big back, tough, 
obviously speed is going to be maybe his biggest knock, maybe certain mm-hmm. extent, you know. Um, but I think that he'll, with the whole running back by community system, the shared responsibility system, you know, he'll there'll definitely be a team out there that really likes him. And I, I like Yeah, I like him too. Well, pretty good. Uh, Tyler Boyd is probably going to be the guy that uh, gets drafted the highest out of all those guys, um, he's a pretty, um, you know, good hands, good body control, um, and stuff like that. Really skinny, though. Like, yeah, really, very really, skinny, yeah. really skinny, uh, which bugs me a bit. But uh, but he is right. a tough he, guy. Right. I mean, when Devin Street's looking at you like, dude, do you even lift? You know, that was, you know, where things are done. Apparently, they don't. Apparently, people in Pittsburgh don't lift. So <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what's happening in Pittsburgh, but apparently they are not listening. But um, <laughs> especially with the Tyler Boyd, uh, I I have a hard time projecting him until I really know what his real height, actual factual about his height and weight are. Because in many ways, he's kind of like uh, if he really is six foot two, one hundred eighty five pounds. He's basically Andre Reed coming out of Pittsman, you know, Pittsman, but that's back in 1985. So, obviously, wide receivers are much bigger guys now. But, uh, but again, in terms of what he does well, you know, again, hands, body control, uh, routes. Routes aren't, I mean, they're not like a Mark Cooper good, but they're pretty good. I say it Mark Cooper, but like that's my that's what's on my mind right now in terms of route running ability. Uh Boyd is like in between that sort of area. But uh, you know, he's a really good wide receiver. Uh I don't know why people have him as you know, I don't know why people put him over Treadwell though, hundred percent. I mean I kinda oh. get it, but I you know, I do understand that it's kinda like, oh well Boyd is more of a finished product and you know, Treadwell isn't sort of or ACL or I don't know, but Boyd is doing pretty well, and he's also doing pretty well market share too. You know, he's uh right now he's the 16th best uh, wide receiver in terms of market share uh, since uh, 19, 1978. Yeah, 1978. So that's pretty good. It's just that his height and weight are a little suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if he could, if he could be two oh nine, you know, or two ten, or something like that, that'd be a little bit better um, in terms of projecting him one hundred percent. But um, after him, other guys at Pittsburgh, uh, Anthony Gonzalez on defense kind of sticks out mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, that's about it. I don't think that Pittsburgh is going to be terrible. I just think they're going to be what they are. So they have some skill position players uh, like James Conner and uh, and Boyd. They're going to do their thing. And I think on defense, they're going to... I didn't mention a single quarterback on the roster, so... I guess that says everything I need to know about what you think about the quarterback position. Oh, you mean Chad Chad Wojcik? You mean that guy? Yeah, he, the Fab Wojcik era is in full effect. 
at in Pittsburgh. Oh. Well, he's amazing, Bill. <laughs> I mean, have you seen Chad Wojcik and the amazing things that he does on a regular basis in Pittsburgh? So I guess he'll be mostly trying to deal with celebrity this uh, season at, at Pitt, trying to deal with all the media requests and hot tub party invitations. Chad Wojcik at a hot tub party. That, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. <laughs> what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm with Chad Wojcik. We're just having a hot tub party. Who? <laughs> Chad, Chad Wojcik? <laughs> Who's Chad Voicing? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Um, I don't. Again, I don't like the quarterback situation here at Pittsburgh. Obviously, like I said, it's James Connors, Tyler Boyd. That's it. That's all, folks. So the quarterback is a secondary player. He'll join the likes of Zach Robinson and whoever was throwing the football to. Calvin Johnson and whoever, you know, whoever sort of the football to Nate Burleson, you know, all those guys. Yeah. Whoever those people are. Yeah. So, you're saying that, like, Tyler Palco and and others can rest assured that their records will not be wiped clean from the book. Pretty that, much. Uh, no, they won't. I, I don't see that happening. Uh, and that's the only thing about Tyler Boyd. That's the big thing with Tyler Boyd. He's kind of hard to project because as much as people want to go like, oh, he's the greatest wide receiver since Larry Fitzgerald, I would say second. Well, not second best, but, I mean, yeah, he's the greatest thing since Larry Fitzgerald, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be as good as Larry Fitzgerald. No problem. You know? <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald don't. was in many ways like a Kevin White like a slower Kevin White who, you know, actually could run routes and catch more consistently and, you know, stuff like yeah. that, you know, so. Right. He did everything more consistently than Kevin White, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but, yeah, that's my only – it's Pittsburgh, man. I mean, like, I don't think they're going to – again, like, they're not going to be terrible, but they're also not going to be, like, really good. You know, unless they're doing something uh, spring ball that I don't know. So, so I that that they just they just are what they are. The Pittsburgh. Yeah. So, championship banners will not be hanging, or at least not, I guess, for football around the campus is basically where he's going with this. All right, then. Fine. So, <laughs> we will continue. We will continue. So, um, there's no longer an ACC president of the state of Maryland. Uh, there is one, as you mentioned, in uh, Pennsylvania. And there is one in New York, of all places. Now, Syracuse is part of Thompson. And Syracuse has some guys... Um, they haven't been able to get quite enough guys, though, to sort of break through. They always have a couple of guys. You know, a couple of years ago, I was kind of into Jay Bromley, and there's always a couple of guys. Um, interesting to have you know, all the guys they need. So looking at 
Syracuse, what do you expect based on the kind of work you do on, on, a, on you know, looking at the numbers, both production and athletic testing? Syracuse. Um, hmm. I don't, this is, yeah, I don't think it's going to be good. I don't think it's, I don't really see anything, um, Really, uh, they were pretty bad last year um, in terms of everything. Um, Cameron Lynch, obviously, was a senior. Darrell Eskridge is – did he get drafted? Darrell Eskridge did get drafted, I believe. Um, I can't remember who I now, but, yes, I'm almost certain. Okay. Yeah, and also Sean Davis, another guy. There's really not a ton of stuff there. Um, Jay Broomley obviously did his thing, and now he's on the Giants. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll get some, you know, maybe he'll take another step this year. Uh, Quarterback-wise, Terrell Hunt was interesting, and then he kind of, I don't know if he got injured or whatever, but he kind of fell off a bit. Al Long also did some stuff, but um, I don't really know what to say about Jay. There's there's not a lot of uh, stuff really get excited about there. Um, Jared West obviously is in the NFL as well, or maybe not in the NFL. Probably somewhere, but he's not at Syracuse anymore. So right. he's gone. And also Prince Tyson Gelly's gone too. Yeah, the Prince has left the building. So it's not very, it's not very pretty. This might actually be, yeah, they, they were the worst. <laughs> they might continue to be the worst team in the ACC. Got it. So, so not not a lot of good news coming. <laughs> Sounds like you're saying that. So, who do you mind is the top prospect on the team? I guess. The top prospect. Ooh. Yes. Yes, Jim. There's got to be at least one, right? <laughs> uh. Yeah. Prospect. No, not him. Not him. Huh. Top prospect. A tough question. Um, Adonis Morris out there. No. Where is he? Were? Maybe Quinta Funder, Okay. And maybe you don't sound a thousand percent convinced, but let's go with that for the moment. What do you see there uh, that makes oh, you think he's the chance? I, actually, no. I'll I'll tell you my answer. Uh, 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 Kendall Moore at tight end. Okay. Maybe they've had some success developing tight ends there. They haven't really translated to NFL success, but they've had a couple of tight ends I've liked there, and he's one that comes to mind, sort of. Yeah. Was it is it Cameron Wiles? Is that the person I'm thinking of recent, most recently? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That guy, yeah. Recently, yeah. So, so looking at... Um, though it sounds like you're not quite in love... Um, what do you think gives 
it gives him a chance to be, you know, maybe the best of what sounds like a rather thin class of pro prospects uh, at Syracuse. He's kind of tall-ish. Uh-huh. Um, okay. He's caught a couple passes. Okay. Uh, about it. From what I remember, I saw a little bit of him. He's not like the greatest blocker, but he's okay. Uh, and he has that sort of size profile that NFL teams like it in terms of the inline position. So, um, offensive line-wise, Sean Hickey's gone. I don't know who's replacing him. So, John Raymond hasn't really done anything on the defensive line. So, like, in other words, you're telling me, hey, James, who's the best pro prospect? I don't think there is a pro prospect. Oh. <laughs> so, the so essentially, what you're saying is the the question does not apply. I guess is what you're telling me. Not really. A church, at least right now, at least what I know with the information available, I don't think there's a pro prospect. Got it. All right. On the scene. So sorry, Cherokee. Okay. Hey, you don't have to. You, you don't have to have pro prospects every year to be a football player. There's other things. You're developing character. You're. Um, Wearing orange and white outfit. Yes, right. There's the outfit. We almost forgot about the fashion statement involved. Good point, Jeff. You know, you look kind of like Clemson if you squint a little bit. But kind of like Clemson, just a little bit. Okay, then. Got it. Moving on. So that brings us to Wake. Forest University, the smallest, at least in terms of enrollment, of all the schools in the conference, and one of the smallest of all the schools in um, in FBS. I think third smallest in Tulsa, and maybe the Air Force again. I can't remember. There's a, no, it's not the Air Force. There's some. I can't remember the other one is, but Tulsa and maybe one other uh, school or small. I think it's the third smallest of all the the FBS football programs in terms of enrollment. But uh, Wake Forest was, once again, for a while, the little engine that could. Jim Grove managed to scratch out, claw out, figure out ways to win eight and nine games with, you know, slightly less talent than Boise tended to bring in. I mean, they probably had an average of 1.25 stars uh, per recruit coming in on the average class. But they managed somehow somehow to get it done. Uh, they've had some guys go early. I guess the earliest Wake Forest player taken in the last 20 years, most likely Aaron Curry, who did not have tremendous success in the league, unfortunately. But yeah. still, still yeah, is a Wake Forest player. Yeah, and plus Aaron Curry wasn't like a terrible player. I mean, what people kind of forget is you know he had the ACL injuries. Exactly. Um, right. And then he kind of, and he wasn't the greatest linebacker at Oakland, but he wasn't terrible. Right. There will be contention, though. There will be people going, well, of course he started here at Oakland. But, I mean, I saw him play. He's a strong side linebacker. I just don't think that based on his testing and based on his uh, production metrics that 
he should have been a top five pick. But that's just right. And of course, hindsight is, you know. Right. Well, Always accurate. But he, he went third overall. And, you know, he was a guy that wasn't a tremendous pass rusher and he wasn't a tremendous change of direction athlete, but he was a smart guy who was a very good linear athlete and a super hard worker with a high football IQ. It would have seemed on, from the outside looking in, going into that, they had a low bust potential, but, you know, yeah, we now know otherwise. Yeah, he's player in the draft that year. As according to Mike Mayock. Yes. Safe, right, yeah, safest, yeah, safest pick. Yes, safest pick. I remember that. Safest pick in the draft. I remember that. Um, yes, we all heard that part. Can't go so, Wake Forest, yes, Wake Forest football. Not not a powerhouse once again. And they tend to sort of chip away. And, but they had a know. couple first-rounders. I mean, they had Aaron Curry yeah. this year. That Kevin Johnson. Yep. So, that's more than... More than most schools, quite right? I mean, more than most schools yeah. like Wake Forest. Like, yeah. Tulsa is a school that's very similar to them, and they haven't had that number of first-round draft picks. I mean, the last first-round draft pick ever from Tulsa was, like, Jerry Rome. I mean, that was long before you were born. Um, so, yes, it's been a long time since the first-rounders have come out of Tulsa. So that's a school that's similar, both academically and, um, and in terms of enrollment. You know, so, it gives, so, so they've had some success in getting guys into the league. But looking at the guys on the roster there, uh, what do you see? What do you, once again, speaking of both production and, and athletic metrics, what, what do you see happening for that program this year? Oh, what was that? <laughs> Uh, turning back to Wake Forest, Jim, what do you see in the offense in terms of athletic testing and um, you know the the collection methods and things like that? What do you what do you see there? Oh, uh, Ryan Gandian, I think. Okay. Can you be there? Tell, sure. Tell, tell us why it is that you think he has a chance. I think he's a safety there, right? I, I'm trying to remember. I believe um, that's correct. Yeah, he's a safety there. Uh, you know, he was fairly productive in terms of, you know, solo tackles and stuff like that, which is the best indicator for strong safety. Safety is in general success. It's kind of that. Um, did have a ton of interceptions, though. So that that's going to be the sort of thing, because a lot of the really, really good safeties also got a lot of picks and stuff in college. Um, but, I mean, he's the guy kind of shows up, Brandon Chubb, the other guy, kind of linebacker, kind of uh, showed a little bit of stuff. Offense-wise, I I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I don't really like any of the wide receivers or running backs that much. So the quarterback is dreadful. Um, yeah, I would I would say Chubb and, and uh, Jamie and two guys to kind of keep an eye on, um, and that's about it. You know, of course Kevin Johnson. You know, his best year really wasn't last year. I don't know if you know this. It was the year before. Year before that, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I knew that. So kind of interesting that he went the first round. It wasn't even his best year, but yeah. So 
that's what happened. So, um, yeah, uh, that's really about it. It's great force. So, um, that's, that's kind of what you get, uh, I guess, to a certain extent. But, yeah, Ganvian and Chubb are two guys I would kind of keep track, keep an eye on. Um, offense-wise, I just don't like any of that on offense. Yeah, I'm sensing that. The last guy I remember that I liked was, like, Campanero from a couple of years ago. Yep. And well, everyone, was predict, everyone, yeah, everyone was predicting, right, you know, Steve, uh, not Steve, but I mean, uh, Pete was predicting, you know, future, future Patriots, which, you know, could still happen. Um, it could still happen. They need to be on the Patriots. They need to, I don't know what they need to do, but they need to call, they need to call them up, Baltimore. They need to be like, release Campanero. <laughs> free, free Campanero. Free Campanero. Because... <laughs> He's a good wide receiver. It, it's just that it doesn't really fit what what they do. Yes, does. So that either either a Joe Flacco is going to become this like super duper crazy take the next step quarterback, or he's going to stay the same guy and just keep chucking up balls to Perryman and um, Steve Smith and stuff like that go either way. So we'll see what happens. They paid him a lot of money, so you hope he does the, you know, the former, but yeah. Right. So Are there any guys in the Wake Forest that you like? Um, they have a stable, their stable of running backs doesn't have probably anybody who's going to be a NFL star or anything, but I like their running backs a little more than you. Um, they have some guys who I think could find their way into a camp, you know, if the right situation takes place. You know, a lot has to go right for um, for these guys because they aren't – I mean, once again, we said, these are like one-star, two-star at most kind of guys. It's rare that you have a, I mean, not that the running back person is 100% physical or anything, nothing wrong, but there are certain physical things that most running backs have that, especially guys who are playing at the Division One level, that not all Wake Forest running backs have, but they've had a couple of running backs that, like I said, when I say I like them, you know, as you, I know you disdain the, you know, shared responsibility running back system. Well, but, it's just a fact. <laughs> Just a fact where, and I've said this before, and people go, oh, that's not right, but it kind of is, in that if you have a shared responsibility committee, that means that most of your running backs are probably average. There's a few times in history where that isn't the case, but that's the thing, a few times. Like, I could think of, like, when Barry Sanders was behind, um, you know, Thurman Thurman Thomas, right? You know, Jonathan Williams and Alex Collins, right? That whole situation. I don't think it's because they both are average running backs. I just think that they just happen to be both really good running backs on the same team and thus that's what happens. So whenever you have a committee, most of the time it's going to be because you just have a bunch of average running backs. In which case, you need to get a better running back. Right. That's just my opinion. You shouldn't be okay with average. That's all I'm trying to say. You know? (laughs) 
you don't think good enough should be good enough is what you're driving at there, Jim? Right. You know, if all you have is good enough, that's fine, but you should be actively looking for better. You know, <laughs> instead of just paying Kyle Rudolph a ton of money, you know, wait another draft, you know? Get a, get a guy who, you know, could do similar things, but, yeah. You know, that's, that's all I'm trying to say. Right. So, I mean, obviously, for one of the things, you know, it sounds like Wake Forest and Syracuse are locked in a race for the bottom. It sounds like it's pretty much, off. pretty much. <laughs> I mean, Wake Forest is better defensive players. The offense is more, that's where the big hiccup is. If they could get a really good running back in number one, and I know you talked about them being about two, three, two, one star guys or whatever. Um, I would say the star systems are just that a system. <laughs> That has flaws in it, so it has serious flaws. Big so, schools I mean, get rewarded over smaller schools, and schools yeah. that already are known for producing guys get rewarded over schools that are less known for producing guys. And you know, relationships with coaches and all kinds of things weigh into this. Right. It has. I would say that if they could get a better running back, because that's how I see their way out. I don't think Wake Forest is ever going to get a quarterback. At least now, I mean, they could, but I don't really see it. So they could get a really good running back, though. They could, like, build the offense around that. Problem is they have a committee system. So, and when you have a committee system, you're already going to have inefficiencies in in your running game because guy goes in, gets five reps, gets out. Guy goes in, gets ten reps, he's out goes back in, you know, you don't get to set up plays, you don't get to do running back things, and as a result, you get less efficiency in the rushing offense. But, you know, that that's just what I would do. But, you know, it's like four. So they probably are trying to do that. They just they just happen to be doing what they're doing. So, but like I said, defense-wise, I, I like the defense a lot more at Wake Forest than at Syracuse, at least next year going into it. So that's that's all I would do today. Right. So in um you know in the person of um Bill Clawson, who's sort of a turnaround expert, they they've he's been summoned to sort of get things back on track there. Um a New York uh Youngstown, New York resi- uh you know, native I went to Williams, which lets you know that he's got almost like an Ivy League type pedigree educationally. Had success at Fordham, where I got to see some of his Fordham teams. A lot of MAC ties. Uh, he spent some time at uh, I think it was Bowling Green as a coordinator, and a lot of MAC guys on the staff. Last year they went three and nine, one and seven in conference. Um, but they were more competitive. Uh, they only managed to score 14.8 points per game, sort of an issue. Um, and their offense generated a n- not exactly scintillating 216.3 yards per game, making them, if not the worst, than one of the worst offenses, I think second to last offense in the country. So that's not great. Uh, their defense was a little better, as you said. Um, John Wolford is back at quarterback. And I'm hearing he's going to be better this year. I am really hearing that. Uh, Des Wortham and Isaiah oh. Robinson 
are back at running back. Um, Kendall Hilton will also be be back. Obviously, they lost, you know, Bud Knoll and Kevin Johnson, as you pointed. Uh, Zeke Rodney is a guy that I think is somewhat interesting. Wendell Dunn is a guy that I've seen occasionally, so he flashes his things. Uh, there's not a lot of guys on either side of the ball that make you just sit up and go, ooh, ooh. Oh, what was the ooh odds? I've seen that there isn't anybody that makes you go, ooh, on their odds. Oh. I agree with, oh, I agree with you there. I said ooh and ah, and I'm like, oh, what happened? Oh, nothing. Okay. Well. I was saying that the guys that had caught my attention previously were, you know, on the defense were Wendell Dunn and Zeke Rock. And like I said, um, of the two running backs, you know, Isaiah Robinson and Des Wortham um, had, I've seen a couple of decent runs where, especially when things weren't blocked well, which often was the case, you know, Wortham seemed to know how to make people miss. Robinson seemed like a guy with a fair amount of, you know, go to catch the ball and, and Studies and then blitz pick up. And that brings us to what should be a slightly better topic of conversation the University of North Carolina, uh, the Tar Heels. And I know I've been saying this for about three or so years, but this, this could be the year. year. This could be the year. It's going to happen. This could be it. Believe me. <laughs> it's all going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to go right. so far as to predict the big win the conference. So, okay. Well, this is the year, so why why is this the year compared to the other years? Okay. I'm going to assume that having the same quarterback a couple of years in a row, and as he develops into the system, and, you know, he's got a – Marquise has some talent, some arm talent and some leg talent. They still have some guys at wide receiver. The offensive line should be better. The defense – Always have some guys on it. I mean, they they don't they don't ever you know I can't even tell me they didn't have some some legitimate prospects on defense. Uh, they do need to get more production out of the running back position. I think Isaiah Hood um, should he stay healthy and develop. I could see him being a guy that could do some damage this year. But you're you know you're the guy with the numbers. What do the numbers tell you about Carolina this year, uh, Jim? What do the numbers tell me? Um, that it's going to be uh, – it's not really cold in North Carolina that much. Um, but it's going to be cold for them, I guess. You know, it's – I North Carolina, I mean, Elijah Hood, if maybe if he can take off, but he hasn't done it yet. But, I mean, if he could do something, that would be kind of interesting. Um, Marquise Williams has really been a running game, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe he that's shouldn't be, but you know, that's what he's been to a certain extent. Oh, what were you about to? I think I, I'm, I'm believing that will change this year. Who's that? Uh, is that uh, everybody super excited about Sunshine Davis? Of course, yeah. I don't think he's going to be a super star, but. And he hasn't really done much, you know. He has made some. He has made some spectacular plays, yeah. and then disappears at times. But, I mean, he, 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 
he really excels at catching sort of spectacular contested balls where he jumps and there's like three guys on him and, you know, snatching off of some guy's helmet, that kind of stuff. That's that's great, but <laughs> that's not a consistent threat in the offense. No, 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 it is not. You can't build your entire career on that. Well, you, you should probably build your entire career on that. So that's the big issue with Davis. Is he may be a good athlete, but production-wise, is not been great. So. Uh, Brian Switzer, interesting. Kind of front, you know, special teams. Uh, I don't want to say Wes Walker, but I have to because he's white. He's a slot receiver. So <laughs> that's the default white slot receiver. Oh, Wes Walker. Yeah. There's not any other. I mean, there's a few other white slot receivers, but they got compared to Wes Walker, too. So it might as well go to the source. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. So I do like him more than Davis because he actually makes more plays, you know, on the football. And he's and he's so, good. He's gonna test. He's gonna test well too. I mean, he's going to run fast. I mean, he's maybe he's not he's not a four six four seven guy. He's a. I think he's, I'm gonna guess he's a high four four kind of guy. Maybe four nine maybe. four four nine. I don't maybe know. Maybe again, four, five. That, that's the that's the basic thing is. I haven't collected any of the athletic data on anybody this year at this point, spring ball wise, because all the athletic data I got last year was wrong. So <laughs> some of it was correct. But what I think what happened was the data that was reported that was correct was adjusted so that scouts would not overreact to it, I guess. So like, Landon Collins ran like a four three short shuttle in spring ball, and then it kind of became lower later on. I think that was because he didn't want scouts overreacting to his short shuttle. But the big okay. point is this: whatever athletic data there is out there, I'm just going to wait to the combine. So sure, right? Because then you you know what you're getting, right? You know what you're getting at that point, right? Right. I get exactly. that. And just have production data as sort of a a guide to you know, cut down the number of players I have to see. Because you could do, you know, you could have a cutoff, like, this is the cutoff, you know. no, no Nobody below this mark has really become anything. So I want to watch all the people up here because of resources. But um, <clears throat> David's just a guy, again, not, not very productive. Twitch is better. Uh, Marquise Williams is uh, kind of like Brett Hundley, kind of, in a way. Yes, only and even that, more raw. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Defense-wise, nobody really sticks out. And it's funny because North Carolina used to be a producer of defensive people. Yes. And now it's so, not so much. So you're not a huge fan of Shaquille Rashad or yeah. Justin Thompson or yeah. Sam Smiley, okay? <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> and Tim Scott's in the NFL, I think. Or he graduated, I think. Or say, who is that you're talking about? Uh, Tim Scott. Yeah, he graduated. Scott, yes. So they're running sort of a, you know, hybrid, whatever you call it, this 
sort of a three, four-ish kind of thing. Um, the the bandit backer or whatever, sort of a combo player, is, is Shaquille Rashad. And I think if they're going to be a good defense, he needs to have a really, really good year. I think Malik Simmons is, or is probably going to have to contribute some. Um, I think looking at the receiver core, I think Dez, not receiver, sorry, uh, looking at the D-back core, I think uh, Dez Lawrence, I think, uh, might be almost the corners, might be a guy that sort of asserts himself this year. Um, amongst the other receivers, Bud Howard, Matt Collins, C.J. Thorpe, any any love uh, for any of those guys for you? Oh, Bud Howard. Is that Bud Howard at Tennessee? Nope. That's Pig Howard. You have the wrong animal. Oh, okay. Well, Pig Howard Keep is your... Howard I'm familiar with. You don't have to read Bud Howard? No. Okay. Bud Howard is a super Howard? quick little, little dude. Okay. Oh. He's, so he's, he's worth checking he's out. on the sidelines? Is that where he's... he's... He's no. He's he the, his stuff. He's a, he's he's returned. He, he, and he's played wide receiver. But he's also he's probably probably knows a return guy. But he's played fair amount of wide receiver, especially in their three and four receiver set. Hmm. Not you coming know, to me. Thing. I don't know. I'll, 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 he might be the guy. Somebody texted me. Somebody texted me like a photo of somebody, and they're like, "Hey, check it out! It's so so North Carolina receiver." And it's like you know, like. Hey man, check out my abs. I'm really cut. I'm shredded like Julian and stuff. But they don't really play that well. So. Bud Howard's a good player. I. Really? Very quick. Very quick. Very. I don't know how. Can you, can you name a here. game he's been in that. Yeah. Like, a bunch of them. Um, so, the NC State game. Um, he had a big return in that. Uh, he 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 made a couple of key catches. What was the? I can't remember. What, 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 late in the season, he had to, he had a, a key catch and I think back in himself, but yes, he made some key plays. He's a good return. He and Switzer are the return guys. Switzer and he both right. uh, are involved in the return game. Um, How Howard is the blacker of the two. They're both small and very quick. Uh, Christian Harris right. is sort of the bigger, the bigger receiver. So they're starting oh, receivers. So he has done some stuff. Okay. Yes. So, so they 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 generally are in a three receiver set. Right. Christian Davis is sort of the X or whatever you call it. Um, Switzer is usually in the slot, and then the guy at Y is usually Bug Howard. Uh huh. Even right. though he's sort of a slot as well, but they can't play two slots and no, you know, no, no outside. I right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, they got cool names. Quinshaw Davis, right? Right, right. And he's he's quick. He's very quick. You'll like him. Well, I don't know if you'll like him, but now you'll see him. Why is his name Bug? That's my question. Is that... (laughs) I'm assuming it's a family nickname. I I can find out the details for you. (laughs) That's kind of an interesting nickname. Well, when you see him play, I mean, he is, like I said, he's small and quick. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't know if it, you know, dates from his, I'm assuming during his childhood days, he probably ran, scooted around very quick, hard to swat. I don't know. Um, 
I'm speculating now. Well, but... Okay, well, all right. I'd rank it Twitter, Davis, Howard, maybe? Even though I haven't well, seen him, I guess he's done some things. Well, yeah. well you'll, you'll see him now. I bet when you go back and look now, it's like, oh, that's, you know, probably, that's the reaction you'll probably have. Okay. You'll, right. you'll, you'll, he was probably the third leading receiver on the team. He's almost certain he was the third leading receiver on the team last year. Uh, and also Matt Collins, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Matt Collins was in the mix, too. He it was probably between the two of them for who was number three on the team, but my guess is it, it might have been he. Collins, Collins is a slightly bigger guy and a guy that might, you know, pro scouts might like better because, well, bigger. Um, but I, I, like, I like watching Buck Howard play. He's, he's fun to watch. Okay. He's probably in the, once again, another, probably in the 5'9", five, 5'8", five, range, I'm guessing, probably somewhere just just a little less than 180, but, you know, right. okay. quick, 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 quick. Here's um, the question, though, with North Carolina. Yeah. Um, yes. So they're a program that every year has all this talent. Yes. Then why don't they do anything? Well, now, that is the the, the $64,000 question. <laughs> In fact, more than 64000 probably at this point. Uh, and this is probably it, at least for the current coaching staff. I mean, they, something probably needs to happen this year for them to continue uh, employment on the, the – Yeah, it's the guy we're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, Larry Fedora came there with a lot of expectations. I, I kind of hope they'd keep Everett Withers when he was the um, uh, interim coach after they um, uh, fired um, – Oh gosh, um, <laughs> blanking on the name. Um, Butch Davis? Is it Butch Davis? Is he on Davis's staff? Whoever Ever Withers? Yes, the defensive coordinator who was there. Um, he was the or interim Butch coach. Davis. Yeah, he was the interim coach uh, before the new staff came in, and a lot of the players were hoping. I mean, he seemed to be very popular with the players. You know, highly respected defensive guy, the guy that put together those really great defenses that Carolina had, had in the recent past, prior to the you know the current situation where they they've still been decent on defense, but it hasn't been quite like the Everett Withers defenses. But he did not get retained. He ended up on you know Urban Meyer's staff, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But I no, would like to. Yeah, exactly. But I still would have liked to see him get a shot to be the, the head man at, uh, at Carolina. I think he would have done a really good job there. And mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder if they might have been a little further down the road. But, you know, whatever. Be that as it may. They went offensive, defense. They went, um, you know, beach body, <laughs> as they say. You know, he's one of the fittest uh, head football coaches in the FBS. I'll say that much for Coach Fedor. He is. He's put together, you know. I don't see him, Charlie Strong, in a pose-off. You know, huh. to figure out who's the most put together well, uh, coach in, in the FPS. Uh, but yeah, he's he's an offensive mind. You know, a guy that made his bones as a coordinator and later as a head coach. Worked for, you know, uh, uh, worked for uh, Coach Gundy at Oklahoma State. Uh, was at Middle Tennessee State. 
had a nice little run at Southern Miss before he came to Carolina. But this is it. Um, I think people were very excited about him coming in, but, you know, this is sort of a put-up or shut-up year, as they say, for, uh, for Fedora and his staff. And I, I don't think it, I think if they don't get it done, that's, that's going to be that's it, that's all for this, this particular group. So that's the that's going to be the question for them. Can they, you know, can they get up and up? And you know, like I said, as you pointed out, they, the, the talent is there. I mean, they're probably maybe number three consistently in terms of the the classes they bring in. Probably only behind, you know, Florida State and uh, and Clemson. And as you've also pointed out, they they don't tend to get quite the results they were hoping for. Yeah, pretty much. But this is the year. Well, I'm like I said, it might not be, you know, a championship. The year everything but changes. It, it could be the very well the year everything changes. At least enough changes that the staff keeps their jobs, uh, which is, you know, matters to the staff, I guarantee you that. Yeah, so that's the the challenge faced. Um, so what do you think happens? I mean, you like I said, you look at you know the numbers and everything else. Is, where do you think they end up this year? You're not gonna like this. So. I probably won't. But go ahead. <laughs> I mean, last year I told you they were gonna be middle of the road, and you were like, "Well, I'm a little bit more optimistic than them," and they were middle of the road. Um, this year, probably same thing. So unless Marquise Williams has, like, a big impact and Ryan Switzer has a bigger impact and Bug Howard becomes noticeable and Quinshaw <laughs> Davis becomes more than just kind of a fancy. Yeah, it makes kind of a splashy, sports-centery play every right. now and again. Yeah, if you can do more than that, um, they could – they could win more things. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the, defense, the defense is, uh, you know, one of the defense and they don't really have a ton of, from what I saw, at least, I didn't see a ton of really good defensive talent of defensive line or linebackers, 100%. So I would say they're looking for the same or worse, depending on how injuries stack up. So right. it's going to be same North Carolina, six and seven, maybe less, give or take. Maybe maybe seven wins, maybe six, five wins. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I think seven or eight. I think eight's possible. I think seven's more likely. I don't think it's a six-win team. If it's a six-win team, then, yeah, they're definitely – the current staff is done. There's no way they can survive a six-win season. So yeah, they they better hope it's not a six win because uh, that's that'll be it. That that will be the, indeed uh, it's all over. But but the shouting for them. Uh, so I, you know, so I I very much have the opinion that they they will be gone unless it's at least seven. I'm thinking eight is probably what it takes for them to be safe because they they show progress. You know they. 
they've been around the six seven win range since they got there, and so I think yep. they'll take more. It'll take more. They've gone down a bit, actually. You know, Fedora's yeah. best season was when he got there, and it's right. gotten worse every year. So yeah, that's it's not what people year. like. People don't like that. So it's the year. One way or the other, it's the it's the year they either take that step forward to at least eight victories, or 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 equally likely, as you're saying, it's the year that you know Coach Fedora gets to take his beach body to somebody else's beach. Exactly, as as you know, Robert Nero said, there's a flip side, flip side to that story. <laughs> yes, there is possibly. Oh, okay, so we will have. I'll be letting you know when I get all the the guests finalized. But I'm discussing my first few guests for the actual uh, 2016 prospect season. Uh, there'll be an email going out tonight about who that who those guys actually are. I want to have them finalized and scheduled. And uh, tell people once again what you've been up to, where they can find your work, and and uh, some of your fascinating long-term prospects. That's you know long-term work that you're churning out, Jim. Oh sure. Uh, well, I've been doing uh, defensive statistics uh, for the NFL over the last ten years. I'll probably bump it to fifteen just to be safe, um, but it's like a ton of stuff. But uh, I'm looking at sort of what a rookie year can tell you about a player, uh, circumstances. It's basically taking the same things that I apply to the college, you know, football season to the NFL and seeing kind of where the trends are and where there's similarities and stuff like that. So I've been working with that kind of stuff, adding uh, offensive stuff to that as well. That's really what I've been working on. Also, Watching spring games, been doing a little bit of that uh, as well, just to get a feel for you know different guys and different teams and um, stuff like that. I'm actually watching UNC's spring game right now, so um, kind of getting a sense of what they're going to be like this year, uh, doing that kind of stuff. Eventually, in maybe July, I'll have my first rankings, I guess of players and stuff. So that's kind of what I hope to have, like, a fresh sort of 100 players done or more um, at the various positions and then go from there. But that's what I've been doing. So I've been doing a lot of uh, defensive market share statistics type stuff, which I know nobody cares about. But, you know, eventually you will. Um, (laughs) uh, And, uh, you know, because people – I don't really understand the argument. Like, people are okay with offensive market share, but with defensive market share, oh, there's too many variables that can hurt that. And I'm like, really? It's, it's, I would say there's actually fewer variables than on than on offense. I mean, there's so many. I mean, guys can do – why don't you do everything right, but a blown block or a misread and the quarterback doesn't find him. I mean, you – I would say that's probably the one of the hardest things to determine. A guy can do everything right as a receiver, and he's maybe he's assigned to do more of the deep routes, and the quarterback doesn't have the arm to get it. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I would think that would be a more challenging thing to quantify accurately than you know, if you're a Mike linebacker, you should have a whole lot of tackles in most in most defenses if you're a starter, and if you don't, yeah. something's wrong. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it's uh, 
I mean, and that's the funny thing is pursuit linebackers is probably the, the best uh, indicator, correlation, whatever you want to call it, in terms of having the greatest concentration of guys. Like it's the 15, you know, not the 15, but the 85 percentile, right, has all the most wall pro pursuit linebackers. That's pretty crazy, you know, that, right. that the 85 percentile has all the guys. But it just makes right. sense because, you know, if you have the majority of your solo tackles on your team, then that's – I mean, that's what the NFL is now anyway. Solo tackles is ridiculous, man. It's like every team is basically doing that. So you want guys that can tackle, you know, guys yes. individually. So solo tackle, as you like to say. So, right. yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what I've really been looking at is trying to get that stuff, try to boost the credibility a little bit to stuff as well because – I know I've been using uh, – well, I've been using what, you know, uh, how many starts they had and whether or not they went to multiple Pro Bowls, went to multiple All-Pros. To get away from that, I'm just going to be looking straight at statistical, like what their performance was on the football field. So instead of what some writer thought, right, or what some – you know, the Pro Bowl is always, you know, people are always like, oh, it's the Pro Bowl. And, yeah, but, you know, instead of focusing on stuff like that, focus on, like, what their actual performance was on the football field from a statistical standpoint, and then that'll kind of help maybe make the stuff more accurate, possibly, you know, showing, you know, long-term um, success rates and stuff like that. But, yeah. I mean, that's, no, that's what I've been working on. I've been working on that. And then, uh, of course, the criminal metrics eventually uh, try to get to that. Uh, I was trying to get a hold of a guy who actually did a uh, – uh, he did a article and he posted all the players who were arrested, like college players that were arrested in the last 12 years or something like that. So mm-hmm. that would be helpful to get all that stuff, uh, obviously. And then also trying to get other information. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I've been working on. I've been working on that kind of stuff. And I've also been working on, yeah, that's about it. I've been doing, you know, fantasy league type stuff. But that's obviously, you know, I'm not going to write about that. I'm not the type of guy that you know, does a fantasy league and then writes an article about how well I did or something like that. So, um, <laughs> well, or how you got your brains beaten in, whichever. Yes, right.
and maybe even uh, bring some guys on. So that'll be fantastic. And Isaiah C, as always, with his, his unique perspective, uh, always interested to have him to use. And we will obviously have, I'll be finalizing tonight, um, have some prospects on the mound. Just a couple. Won't be as heavy as um, I'll be later in this year. It's very preliminary. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably have a few more prospects on as time goes on. I'm not starting heavily on trying to really book a lot of prospects yet, partially because I don't know who I like. So, you know, guys just reach out to me and say, oh, you know, can I do it? It's like, well, let me get over the date. And as long as it's not, you know, absolutely offensively horrible, I usually will go ahead and bring along. This early on in the process, but as always, I want to thank everybody. Um, you know, we couldn't do it without you. It's been great. Uh, thank all of you for your time, your talent, and your attention. We will do, obviously, this show again in one week, and tomorrow in the morning we will have our um, pro-prospect video show, like I said, the first one with an actual prospect guest. Well, I'll be sending an email regarding who's finalized. Um, some of the guys have even gotten back to me since I started this show, so I'll have to see who, who responded. And I want to thank you all. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.